What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. This is episode 55. Uh, today is Thursday, July 6th, and we are just a few days away from the draft. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined by Ben Badler. What's going on, Ben? It's it's draft weekend, Carlos. I see you're in you're in Seattle. You got yeah. uh, got a little TV time coming for you this weekend. Yeah, first day I'll be on the draft broadcast at the MLB Network, so that'll be fun uh, out here in Seattle. This is actually the first time I've been in the Pacific Northwest at all, uh, and it, I landed and it's like bright and sunny, seventy degree weather, not at all the the stereotype of Seattle. So it's been great so far. Um, and then yeah, working the phones all day. We're starting to hear a bunch of rumors about what could happen, what might not happen, player names being thrown everywhere. Um, we're down to the wire. I'm going to watch some 2024 high schoolers at the high school all-star game here tomorrow. And then two days later draft is, it's going to be here. We've been honestly, most, most years I, I tell you that it flies by. I can't believe it's here, but I feel like for this one, it's taken forever. I've been, been anticipating it for a long time. Yeah. I feel like I'm ready for the 2024 draft to come. We were just down at PDP together watching those players last week. And I mean, that's part of why we haven't recorded an episode in a, few weeks we've just been constantly traveling you were at the mlb draft combine too Mm -hmm. i was in atlanta right before that making sure we get looks at some of the 2024s and future years too so it's uh it's a crazy crazy month for just just about everybody who is involved in (laughs) some form of amateur baseball absolutely yeah last year i feel like we didn't even podcast in between Uh, like right before the draft so i'm glad that we're getting on um from remote hopefully the audio is okay i think it's i think it's solid but um i think you guys are probably just going to be glad that we have a little bit of a draft preview podcast right before the draft yeah the combine this year i went to the first um edition of the combine when it was in Cary, north carolina two years ago and then missed last year's in person kyle was out here in california for us and i think that it's taken a pretty major step forward just in terms of the talent they're getting, uh, how they're improving the event to facilitate both players and teams. It, it really felt more like a showcase on the summer circuit than last, or I should say the first year's combine did. Uh, so that was cool to see. I was basically on the field watching BPs, watching bullpens, watching workouts. Um, it was good. It was a good event, I thought. What What was better about it? Did they? It seemed like in the past, like maybe the first year, they just didn't even really have players show up. And then after that, mm-hmm. they would have players show up, but they were like, well, I don't want to do anything on yeah. the field. Was it just more high-profile players that you wanted to see playing either in games or doing workout stuff on the field? Yeah, I think that exactly. Like Sammy Stafura was there. He took batting practice. I mean, he's got a chance to go in the first round. I guess there was a couple guys the first year. Colson Montgomery, I think, is probably the most notable one who actually took place in on-field workouts. But I do think the biggest the biggest differentiator for me was just seeing more uh, high-quality players, players I think have a chance to go on day one, very early on day two, who are involved. Uh, the selection is good. I think the incentives to get the players there, if you take part in the medical, um, getting a, a certain percentage of your slot guaranteed, uh, I think is probably a good help. I know that MLB has been soliciting feedback from agents players teams to try and make the event better it definitely seems like it's a goal of theirs to make that part of this um part of the the draft being more exciting and being more of a show i still think it's probably tricky to have it super entertaining on the broadcast i don't know you you could probably speak to that better than i could um 
just, I, I think prospect people who listen to this podcast would probably love just watching these guys take ground balls and throw VPs and uh, do all the workout stuff. But as far as creating like a mass appeal in the workout environment, it just, it feels hard to make that fun to watch on TV. But from my perspective, uh, and I think from the team's perspective, getting to getting to have interviews with all these players, I think is probably their most important factor. Like the biggest needle mover for teams is just having a, a good amount of time to talk to some of their high priority players in team meetings. And then for me, uh, I thought it was really valuable just getting extra looks at a lot of these depth players that popped up this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin Saltzaban is a good one. I think Ke- Kevin Takuchi would have been a perfect name to have at this event. He was not at the combine. Uh, I'm not sure if he didn't get invited or he, he didn't accept attendance, but a guy like that, I think can really benefit from this. There were some pitchers that, either dealt with some injuries or missed some time or got squeezed out of rotation that threw bullpens and were really impressive. Magdiel Cotto was a good one. And then I also really just like seeing the high school players and the college players taking batting practice and working out together because the high school kids who have real raw power, uh, like George Wolkow, like Brandon Winokur, they really stood out even with these college guys who are much more advanced physically or maybe even not advanced physically but at least you know, theoretically like they should six, be six seven two thirty <laughs> yeah Wolkow's max ev there was so high i thought it was a misread uh and i think he he legitimately moved up boards because of the power he showed like we just as we're recording this podcast i, I think it was today the final ba 500 went up and when i was just kind of doing last minute feedback Wolkow moved up just because people were so impressed with the raw power that he showed so it he's does. a reclass. He's a reclass too. He was 2024. I mean, you just saw the 2024s, which, I mean, I think clearly 2023 is a better year from the high school side than 2024. Yeah. You put him in the 2024 class. I get there's obviously big swing and miss risk that comes with him. Man. I mean, he's a six foot seven teenager still. He's got well, he, he's he's never going to get shorter than six foot seven. Obviously, <laughs> he's always going to have long arms and be some length to the swing, but mm-hmm. um, obviously the power is going to be 70 if not potentially 80 with him yeah i guess we don't have to dog in the 2024 class too much right now but man i'm I'm a little worried about that one maybe it's because this 2023 class is so good but even seeing college national team a week ago i think when was it that we were both in carry ben we were watching the college national team in, in the high school guys i think it was a week week and a half ago yeah um, yeah i just got back on a couple days ago or a few days ago yeah i mean it's it not all the top pitchers throw in the summer, but typically the college national team is a really good look at, at the top hitters in the class. Remember last year you had Dylan Cruz and White Langford on the team. And just hearing how scouts talked about the college national team a year ago compared to how they were talking about the team this past year, like, I mean, there's an opportunity for someone to to take a step forward and, and get their name in the mix at the top of the class. I'll just put it, is, it that way. It is wide open right now. Yeah, and I think it's true on the high school side too. There really feels like there's no Dylan Cruz, there's no, there's no Walker Jenkins, there's no Max Clark. That's just like, hey, I'm clearly the top guy. Then there's everyone else behind me. Like it's just a jumble of names who are all interesting, but at this point, feel like more solid middle of the first rounds and like clear cut top of the draft guys. But we can we can focus on 2023. We don't have to. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the 2024s. Yeah, well, I think you got four of the top five picks in your mock draft, right, last year. If I remember yeah, right. I was I was actually looking at that because I was I was joking with a scout who was asking like, what is a successful hit rate for the mock drafts? And last year we got eight of the top forty correct, and I think 
I think I lucked into the best mock of, of the ones that I saw at least, and I would be thrilled to get eight this year again. I feel like that's a good number. We got Jackson Holiday, Drew Jones missed on number three, and then I think we had Elijah Green and Tamar. And Tamar. Yeah, Tamar. I, I said them backwards. Tamar and then Elijah Green, right? How did then, you miss on the Rangers taking Kumar Rocker at number three? You know, I was debating Kumar <laughs> at the end there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We we never expected Kumar. I remember, like, my mouth dropped when I heard that Kumar was the pick at three. I don't think he was ever mentioned there. I don't think I ever heard anything about that. And we're sitting here this year, and the Rangers have the 16th largest bonus pool at pick number four, which is one pick away from last year. Like, it wouldn't shock me at all if they did something similar. Although I don't know that I'm ever going to get to a point where I'm confident enough in something like that to actually mock it. But yeah, if yeah, we get, if we get yeah. seven or eight, I'll feel good. What, what, what is good for you, Ben? If, I feel what, like what's four, clearing the bar four out of the first five is pretty impressive to me, especially because the Orioles, like there, there wasn't necessarily, Oh, this guy is clearly going to go number one. Although if you redrafted it today, like, Clearly, I think any team would take Jackson Holiday yeah. number one right now. But it's there. There wasn't like an Adley Rushman. Oh, you can just pencil him in, and mm-hmm. everyone's going to get that pick, right? There was, you know, I, I, you were one of not a lot of people who had them taking yeah. Jackson Holiday going and, one. And, and they, I think that some of it too is just luck, because I do think that everyone was aware that like Jackson Holiday was a factor. It's not like mm-hmm. we were the only people that had that. So generally everyone seems to have kind of the same information. It just comes down to like, which either, either simply getting lucky, which I think certainly happens. Um, and then also like hitting on a couple picks later really helps just because everyone you get deep down the board feels way better than up top, just because you're, you have a much wider range of players to pick from. So I'm really hoping that this Sammy Stafura, New York Yankees connection that that's has seemed locked in for the last month, Maybe that we can we can steal a pick later down, and I don't know if you count. We had Owen Murphy going to the Braves, but with their second pick in the supplemental round, where they actually took J.R. Ritchie, I think that counts as half points. Yeah, well, I think the ones at the top are impressive because, especially the later down you go, you could ha- a team could have taken you know whoever you had going fifteen, mm-hmm. the team could have taken that player fifteen, but if you get you know if one thing happens early in the draft that is a little bit unexpected, it has this. Mm-hmm. Uh, effect of um, layer everything, layering everything else down the rest of the board, and having this effect of yeah. kind of messing up with everything, where you could kind of pick different routes that you could mm-hmm. go, or if if things had gone differently at the top, then things you might have had picks pegged correctly later on, but those players just weren't available when the team was yeah ended up picking. And- and you de- there's definitely a lot of that. There's so many branching ways the draft could happen and and you could have a team with a player who they like. They just never got a chance to pick. Um, that that certainly happens. I still think I take a little bit more like it feels more impressive to me as someone who's doing these to hit on the lower ones because really, I think you could put a couple names in a hat and put them in any random order and you would probably luck into a few picks up top. I don't I don't know if that's true for the back of the first round and later. There are just so many more potentials there true, yeah. that if you if you actually hear about a team, which for whatever reason, the Yankees always feel like like Anthony Volpe, when they took him, there was a lot of heat on that last year. 
when they took Spencer Jones, which I'm honestly surprised more people didn't mock Spencer Jones because that one was a pretty open secret for a while. And I just put him there because I was like, oh, well, I don't want this one to happen and me not have it if it actually goes through because I've heard it so much. And it will take like the Yankees scouting director himself calling me the day of the draft and saying, no, we're taking player X probably at this point for me to not have Sammy Stafura <laughs> at that spot just because it's it's so, it's something we've heard so much for them. But yeah, the mock draft is, is really a futile exercise. Uh at the end of the day. So well, my January 15th international uh, signing prediction is, is usually much better than yours. Oh yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, we need more people to actually care about that. But the fact that there's no mystery and rumor mongering, and it's just you telling people, this is who your team is signing. All the excitement is just vanishes. Ben, you should do a mock draft instead and just pretend, you know, less people would probably be more interested. It would be wild if there was an international draft and then we had to do, uh, a mock draft because I think that would be there's no one in the world who could compete with you on that I'm confident like maybe after it happened for a few years and people were like oh we need to cover this but I feel like you would have a pretty awesome advantage over everyone yeah and then there's always going to be some player in the middle of nowhere or who some team just thinks like is way better than everybody else um, aka the Rangers evaluated so with Evan uh, Carter <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they'll find a, a Dominican Evan Carter down there. So, but I don't know. Sebastian Wolcott looks pretty good out of the Bahamas for them right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, he's we we could talk about Sebastian Wolcott another time. But yeah, tell me, uh, do you want to just walk through each team and go just kind of team by team? Yeah, through the draft, talk about who who you think they might pick the the players you're hearing them on or, or the kind of the history or general philosophy of player types that these teams tend to that the teams tend to go for and players who kind of might fit that criteria for them yeah let's do it so first off obviously is the pirates um i mean it i feel like i haven't gotten any more confident in who they're taking today than i was a month ago i think the only thing that we've really heard recently is like dylan cruz doesn't sound like the guy there uh, and that's the only player that I really had at the first pick in the mock as we've kind of gone throughout the spring but there's really a lot of rumors that for whatever reason he's not the pick there Um, I guess it still wouldn't shock me if he wound up being picked because the Pirates always keep things close to the vest um, and I thought, who, I thought that you were saying Ben Sherrington texted you who they were going <laughs> to pick and just said to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting around. on that. I'm waiting on that one for the very final one. Uh, you can, on you can text. just tell me we'll, we'll bleep it out. <laughs> yeah. They're going to take uh so right now I think Paul Skeens is the guy that I have. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Wyatt Langford. I wouldn't be shocked if it was Max Clark, given, given how much uh, he's been talked about really throughout the top five picks. All of these guys seem like, perfectly fine one, one choices. And the fact that they are considering so many and that they've scouted Walker Jenkins so hard this spring, it really feels like all the top guys are still in the mix. And I think it's really going to come down to draft day with the pirates. I I don't think they've made up their minds now. Uh, They're probably just going to keep holding things close to the vest. And I expect them to be a team that uh, searches for the best deal. I think if there's another team picking up the top, maybe they would just find their guy We'd know about it, kind of like Casey Mize when he was taken first, uh, kind of like Adley Rutschman when it wasn't really a secret, although uh, I guess maybe with those classes, the, the separation between one and the next guy was a little bit more. But, um, yeah, still not a ton of confidence here with the Pirates. 
I mean, they don't have any clear tendencies, and I think that it's probably tricky to suss out tendencies when you're picking in this range on the draft anyways, just because kind of the talent is there and and you, you have what you have. It's not like you can choose uh, a shortstop in this range if, if there's not one available. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on the Pirates here and their system overall? Like, I, I feel like they should – they could probably be fine with any demographic or college or high school player. Um, but where, where are you at with them? Yeah, I, I mean, do you think? I guess the question is: was, you have them taking Skeens. Obviously, the difference between him and the other kind of big four players in the class is he is a pitcher, yeah. and there is a different risk tolerance that teams have taking pitchers that high. Although Paul Skeens is probably the best pitching prospect who's come out of the draft in the last decade, and is somebody who could be, yeah. I mean, pitching in the big leagues this year, if you really wanted him to, I don't expect that to happen if he gets drafted by the Pirates necessarily, but he'll, he's somebody who could be ready for them, you know, pitching big league innings for them in 2024. Do you think, do you think they're just not, they, they wouldn't hesitate to draft a, a pitcher? Do you think the, you know what? Was- I, I, I think, it wouldn't surprise me if they were one of the teams that really would prefer to take hitters at the top. But then I also go back to that factor. I think we talked about it a few podcasts ago where the pirates really are never in the market for high profile free agents and getting an ACE caliber pitcher like Paul Skeens, maybe that value for them, that acquisition cost is just too much to pass on. Like even with the risk of the pitcher, just the value add you could be getting if Skeens is an ACE uh, you could argue is greater than any of these other players, even if Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford become the players that we think they are. So I think you can make the case either way. I don't know specifically Pittsburgh's philosophy there, or else I'd probably have an easier time um, making the mock. But at this point, I think it's like fairly likely the the odds seem fairly equal of, of like Paul Skeens or Langford or I, I, for whatever reason, I'm leaning more towards one of the big college three than Clark. Um, just because I, I haven't heard enough to make me feel confident in Clark going one. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. If the Pirates were to take, say, Skeens or Clark instead of Dylan Cruz, do you think that would be a mistake for them? Or, or are the talent levels and maybe the the haircut you would get on the bonus to be able to spend on picks later Mm -hmm. enough to justify it or or is the gap between these players just not that big for you i think the gap's not that big especially when we're talking about the college players um it's hard to say with any certainty until you see like what the numbers are like if you if you take wyatt langford over dylan cruz and it turns out that langford signed for a million less than cruz signs for like, yeah, I, that seems like a pretty big move or, or a pretty good move for the Pirates, I should say, considering that, like, I think their talents are pretty pretty close to being equal. Um, yeah, and I think just in terms of pure talent, if they're all signing for the same amount, I, again, we've talked about it before, but I think you can make a case for Skeens. I think you make a case for Cruz. I think you can make a case for, for Langford. I think you would probably make a case for Max Clark. I, don't, I think he's probably a little bit further down for me personally just because of the impact questions, but I think Walker Jenkins, same kind of deal. Um, I just feel like it's, it's impact college players with big tools, with a lot of confidence. And I just, I think when it when it comes down to it, when the GMs get involved, 
there's a lot of comfort in those demographics for the for the college players in this class and i expect them like i i feel like it's easier to see the high school players slipping a little bit and and when i say slipping a little bit i don't mean like falling down the board i just mean it feels more likely that the college players go in front so yeah you don't think max clark is falling to the dodgers (laughs) (laughs) if that happens um people are going to start boycotting the dodgers (laughs) (laughs) well well uh anyway the um with, Let's go to the Nationals. Say, no, I was going to say, if do you think Walker Jenkins is in play too at number one, or does he seem like the less likely one? Where if you're going to take a a hitter, you know, especially guys who might end up being on a corner mm-hmm. anyway, that they might really just lean more toward the the college bats. Yeah, and I think he's probably the least likely, or at least I think he's least likely, just because I haven't heard his name as much tied at the one, one pick for whatever reason. I mean, maybe it's a case where he has a deal there and we haven't heard about his name much because they're quiet. Like that, that could easily be the case and we're just not hearing about it. Um, but as of all the information I have right now, it, it, it doesn't seem like his name is brought up nearly as much as all of these other four guys for this pick there. So we'll see, but I mean, they have scouted him pretty heavily throughout the spring uh, as you probably expect. It would seem like the pirates who, who know Jenkins is an elite talent, but yeah, just just for whatever reason, haven't heard his name as much. All right. So if all right, the Pirates take potentially Skeens at one. Mm-hmm. Is that does that open it up for the Nationals with Dylan Cruz? Yeah, I think so. I honestly, it'd be a lot easier if the Pirates took anyone but Paul Skeens number one because I think, I mean, we've heard it from some people who think that the Nationals and Paul Skeens is pretty much a lock if he's on the board, and I think even if both the LSU players are on the board. Like the Nationals might lean towards Skeens. We've heard them on on Paul Skeens the whole spring. In this scenario, I have the Nationals going with Dylan Cruz. I think they'd probably be happy with either of the LSU players. Um, so whatever happens at 1-1, I think they're going to get a player they really like. Um, but yeah, the fact that I think they'd lean Skeens over Cruz, I guess is interesting here for the Nationals. Uh, it, not a lot of other names really get brought up. Uh, with them like don't hear about the high school players very much at all with the nationals um it's not to say that they haven't drafted high school players they've they've taken big physical high school players before but now they've got three big and physical college players that really all the top three college guys seem to fit their mo like what they've drafted historically um so yeah skeens goes one i've got Cruz going two to the nationals which maybe washington fans wouldn't have expected that considering we've had Cruz in the number one spot in our rankings and in the first spot on the mock draft really throughout the entire spring. All right. Well, like you said, if the, what, if, let's say potentially the pirates take, let's say Langford or Clark, somebody other than Paul Skeens mm-hmm. or Dylan Cruz and the nationals have their pick of Cruz or Skeens, you think they might still go Skeens over yeah. Cruz? I think so. That's kind of the read I'm getting. Again, I, I think it's probably safe to caveat this entire conversation that there's just so much you can't be sure of and we can't right. know. But every, everything that I've heard is that they they really prefer schemes. And I also think the Nationals are probably a team that's not going to play the money games as much as, as some other teams. I think they probably identify their guy and take him regardless. Like if they think it's a better talent, they're just going to take that guy. Uh, spend the money yeah yeah exactly and i think i think skeens might be that for them i mean they've taken a number of offensive players recently uh they've got a lot of of impact hitters in the system 
Uh, I don't think Cruz would, would hurt them by any means. If, if you joined him, I don't think you can have too many good hitters in your organization. Just look at the Orioles. But um, Paul Skeens would certainly give them something that you don't really have in that organization right now. Yeah, well, and there's certainly some questions about some of the outfielders who they've either drafted or traded for in that mm-hmm. system right now, too. Do you, yeah, but Skeens, like you said, he seems to check a lot of the boxes that the Nationals have historically gone for big, physical, athletic power arms who throw extremely hard yeah and really all all of these players i think cruz you could say all the same things about cruz mm-hmm. like big physical strong powerful langford even more so like just a massive physical player like like all these guys seem like nationals types and i think really with skeins and the nationals the one thing that you can nitpick skeins for is the the fastball shape and i don't get the sense that washington is too hung up on on that compared to maybe some other teams. I don't know that anyone is hung up on that with skiing, just considering everything else he does, but that is like the one small thing you could say, Oh, I wish he had more ride on his fastball. Um, and I don't get the sense that like the nationals are a team that's like super prioritizing that. Yeah. seemed to ride past a lot of hitters this year. So exactly. I mean, it was a 30% plus swing and miss rate. So I think it'll be, I think 98 will be just fine. However it moves. Yeah. With a wipeout slider and then that change. Up <laughs> I'm telling you the change up. I, I love the change up. I, I think the change up, it's probably not slept on now because it looks so good in the college world series, but I think the change up is every bit as good as the slider, which may be blasphemous, but I, I yeah. think it is. I think when you throw 102 with like a wipeout 90 mile an hour slider, <laughs> people are just naturally going to talk less about your changeup. And he doesn't use it as much now. But I think, they, I mean, that was the same thing with Strasburg when he was in college, too. He had a really good changeup and he just didn't ever really need to, to use it at the time. No, not at all. And I understand that. It makes sense. If if I threw 98, I don't know that I would want to use a changeup too much either. But his is good. It's got good movement, good arm speed. He locates it well. I think it's a good pitch to both lefties and righties. So, yeah. I mean, Skeens is, is very clearly the best college pitcher that I've ever covered. So, Well, 98 is also probably the bottom range of his fastball too. So, <laughs> well, He averaged that this year. So, Yeah. So, all right. So then... I mean, it seems like you said Skeens, Cruz, mm-hmm. whoever's on the board, and then maybe they have to make a decision between between one of the two, and then Nationals fans will uh, kind of debate that one for years, I'm sure, <laughs> if, they, if they take one and not yeah. the other. Uh, what, about the, what about the Tigers at three? It seems like they're going to be in position to get one of these premium players it just kind of depends Mm -hmm. which one of these two guys or which two guys go off the board ahead of them yeah again kind of similar to the nationals like whatever happens in front i think they'll probably be happy um everything i've heard like if there's a scenario where langford goes one and skeens goes two like sounds like cruz isn't getting past three i that feels like the case for all of these college players, if, if it's college one, two, I think it's probably going to be college three. Um, it'll be whoever's not picked here. That's it's kind of my guess. Although I, I shouldn't say that if it goes like Langford Cruz for whatever reason, I'm not entirely sure that the Tigers would, would take Skeens. Mm-hmm. I don't have a great read on who they would prefer if the two college hitters went in front of them. But in the way we're talking about the board now, I have them taking Langford. Um, 
the Tigers do have the second most amount of pool money. Um, so depending on like what the asking prices are for all these players, they could potentially get a little bit aggressive. They can outspend anyone in the draft other than Pittsburgh, who in the past has done the portfolio approach. So maybe the Tigers uh, can kind of throw some money around. And it's really hard to get a college player to slide ever, but that is a factor here. I mean, their bonus pool is $15.7 million. Slot value for this pick is 8.3. For pick two, it's 8.9, really $9 million. And then pick one is 9.7. So as much as it's really boring to talk about, I do think the financials come into play with the baseball draft. Um, although, again, like the Nationals, and, and I guess we'll see with the Tigers, there's a lot of new people kind of running the ship there in Detroit. Uh, I've not heard from a lot of people in the industry who have a lot of confidence in getting a read on their room, but everyone's just kind of assuming um, that whichever one of these college players is available is the pick there. Do you get the sense that there are teams or, or certain people who would have Langford ahead of Dylan Cruz, or is it? Yeah, I think so. Be, yeah. I mean, it's it's harder to find out like which of those teams specifically are those teams. I think it's probably more of a case of within scouting departments. Some scouts will prefer Cruz and some scouts will prefer Langford. Right. Um, most people will like acknowledge that like it is still very close while still having a preference, but there there certainly are people who prefer Langford to to Cruz, uh, even if most people in the industry that we've heard from would say Cruz is the best. Yeah, but it, you get the sense that if there's, you know, as long as long as one of those, I mean, obviously, certainly one of those. Well, I should say one of the college players is on the mm-hmm. board, or at least one of the college hitters. It seems yeah. like they're they're going that route probably more than likely over the 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 high school guys like a Jenkins or or Clark. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing would be if if Cruz and Langford go one two, would the Tigers rather take a Jenkins or a Skeens? I, I don't I don't have great confidence in which which direction I would head in that scenario. I mean, Skeens historically is the exact mo that the Tigers love, like these power SEC physical arms. Uh, I mean, maybe this could be said for everyone. You just don't have a lot of those players, but Detroit historically has really liked that player. Um, maybe just because everyone expects Skeens to be off the board within the first two picks. I haven't really talked about Skeens to the Tigers, um, but that that is an area where I, I really don't know. Would they like an impact bat like Jenkins? Would they rather have one of the best pitching prospects, like you said, in a decade in Skeens? It would almost be fascinating to see the board unfold that way so we could see which they preferred. Um, but yeah, I'm, I feel like college player uh, at this spot here. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a chance – one of those three college players slips out of the top three or one of them who's the most likely to, to not potentially go in the top three. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's tough to pick one. Like, cause I previously would have said Cruz is the least likely. And now we're talking about him not being the pick at one. So that automatically makes him more of a candidate than, than Skeens and Langford. Um, it's hard to see any of these guys slipping, barring some sort of medical situation that that we don't know about. Um, so yeah, I don't have a good answer for you on that one. Do you do you have uh, one in mind? Uh, I mean, I just think potentially Skeens again, like you said, he could go number one overall. But then just with pitching teams at the end of the day say uh i don't know like we have these elite (laughs) both college hitters and high school hitters i think gms i think gms really love college arms like i think front office types really like 
having impact college arms. And the fact that we haven't had them in a few years, like the biggest weakness in this draft class in the first round that, that people keep complaining to me about is the lack of college pitchers after the top four. So I really think that a lot of decision makers place a lot of value on players like Skeens and Louder and Dolander and even Waldrip. Like you just can't, there are other bats you can find, but there are not very many arms. But I do, I do take your point of like the risk with pitching in general um, being maybe a factor. And, and there are some organizations who have developed a reputation as just avoiding pitchers in the first round, Baltimore being one of them. So uh, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but kind of just thinking out loud. That's what we do on this podcast, right, Ben? Yeah. It's a stream of <laughs> stream of thought. Uh, <laughs> the Rangers at four, which, uh, which, which independent league player or do they have <laughs> at the top of their board this year to screw everything up? Oh man. Fortunately there, there doesn't appear to be any indie ball player who can disrupt our draft boards, but you know, never say never with the Rangers uh, in this scenario, Walker Jenkins is probably the favorite to be the pick. He's consistently been linked here. Um, Jenkins is a guy that doesn't sound like he's, he's met with a lot of teams leading up to the draft. Like, Kind of been hard to to pin down. Maybe there's a deal in place. Could be here. But also, again, the factor with the Rangers, that that's going to be interesting, and you only have to look back to last year. I mean, they have a small bonus pool compared to every single team picking around them. You have to go to the Angels at number 11 to find a smaller bonus pool. They don't pick until – I'm checking right now. They don't pick until the fourth round after this pick. So if they wanted to do an underslot deal and try and slide someone, probably a high school player, to the fourth round like they did a year ago with Kamar Rocker and Brock Porter, like that shouldn't surprise anyone now given how they've operated. I've continued to hear them linked to some players who are further down the board who maybe could fit for that. Like it sounds like they like Arjun Namala. It sounds like they like Enrique Bradfield. Again, it would take a miracle for me to actually put those names here in a mock because – I, I don't feel confident that they're going to take those players there. I just I just hear they like them. Um, and if you're kind of trying to game plan the financials of the draft, like those guys are both ranked higher on our board right now than Kamar Rocker was a year ago. So you could play that out pretty easily, I think, if you wanted to. Um, so I guess keep an open mind for the Rangers. Like it feels like if things are going to go really crazy – four would be my pick just because of the bonus pool and the, and the factors that leads to. Um, but if I'm the Rangers picking at four, I want Walker Jenkins because he's an impact bat. And then I think if, if you do have just the first round pick and you don't pick until the fourth, I'd rather just get the best player that I can at this spot and figure out the rest of the draft later. But that's not the approach they took last year. Um, so we'll have to see what they can do. I think they're maybe one of the most interesting teams in the draft. Yeah, he, I mean, I love Walker Jenkins. I think, you know, like in a lot of years, he could be in a 1-1 type talent. He's just such a physicality, athleticism, easy left-handed swing, huge power, has a good approach, pretty consistent, high-level offensive performer, both getting on base and hitting for power, like, run them out in center field, see what happens more than likely goes to a, a corner, yeah. I think is probably the, the most likely outcome. Prettiest swing in the class, best North Carolina high school hitter, best North Carolina hitting prospect since Josh Hamilton, 
I mean, he's got all the tools. Like you said, I think you run him out in center field. I personally thought he moved around pretty well. I guess it depends yeah, does, kind of how yeah. the body how the body changes over the next few years. Because, I mean, Dylan Cruz runs much better than I expected him to. And if Walker Jenkins kind of follows that path where he just – like Cruz is such a graceful runner that I think he could age pretty well in that category, even though he's like pretty close to max physically and, and – like you, you just assume those guys are going to slow down, but there've been a lot of players who just haven't slowed down and have actually gotten faster in pro ball. So I, I think I'm more optimistic on how the run tool evolves for these players than I previously was. And Walker Jenkins has a similar like graceful loping stride in the outfield. I, I've talked to some scouts who really liked what he did in center field this year. So, I mean, if you can get that bat as a center fielder, it looks even better. Um, but yeah, that's, that's who I have it for right now. Yeah. If, if he's not available, I mean, do you get a sense that there's somebody else that they would be like a like a dream scenario for them, or is Walker Jenkins kind of the dream pick to like still be available for them? In, in I mean, maybe they or... would prefer any of those three college players if they got to them. Maybe they'd be really excited, just given maybe an ETA that'd be a little quicker. I think the Rangers have always felt like a, a match in heaven for Paul Skeens just because they that need the pitching. Thinking, yeah. yeah, they need pitching at the big league level. He's consistently talked about as the guy who just doesn't need any time, put him in the majors right away. Like if you're lining up competitive windows, the Rangers and the Twins make more sense for, for Paul Skeens than any of the teams picking in front of them. Um, so I would imagine that, that for both the Rangers and Twins, like the dream scenario would be, getting a generational pitching prospect to four when they didn't expect him to be there. Um, but I, I don't know that for certain. What about, I mean, Max Clark, we talked about him potentially being in the mix with the first pick overall. It seems like maybe less so with these next few. Yeah. Picks. For whatever reason, his name just hasn't come uh, in play much here. I think, I mean, the way people talk about Max Clark, it seems like he just wants to be drafted as high as possible. And I, it doesn't sound like Clark has a, a preference for where he goes, where that might be different with some of the other players on the board. As in going um, as high as possible, like regardless of what the – not necessarily regardless, but, but the bonus overall is – Yeah, I mean, that that's yeah. kind of the rumor out there, although I hesitate to say it with any confidence because that rumor was also out about Tamar Johnson a year ago, and that wasn't actually the case, like – he was trying to get as much money as he could. And if you look at how the bonuses played out, like that, that that's how it operated. Tamar wasn't just trying to get a, a haircut and be the number one player on the board. Like he was trying to get money. And so I'm, I'm very hesitant to say that's, that's actually true with Max Clark, but that is what people are talking about. Um, and I guess it also makes sense from Clark's camp, because if you consistently see Clark, at the bottom of this top five group, which for the most part he has been, you're more incentivized to take a deal. If you think you're probably going four to six, you would be more willing to take a deal at one through three opposed to the players who have been consistently linked to top three. Like, I think you're just incentivized to operate that way because uh, you could go a little earlier and still get more than you're getting at four five, six, whatever, whatever it may be like, I think just the dynamics of like how the draft works, whoever's at the bottom of that tier, you're probably going to hear about them being more open to taking a deal. What about, so the twins at five, is that potentially the fit for Clark? Do you think they go some other direction, even if he is 
on the yeah. board? No, could be, could be Clark for sure. Um, I think they are still looking at a number of different players in that mix. There are a lot of college names that get linked here. I think this is the first spot where you really start to hear about a number of players who are not in this top five in the mix. Uh, both Jacob Gonzalez and Jacob Wilson, Rhett Louder's name gets brought up quite a bit here. Uh, Max Max Taylor, uh, Max Clark, I think Braden Taylor, probably this is the first spot where he starts to make some sense. So I think a lot of college names make things interesting here. They're pretty model driven or have been in the past, so that could that could shake things up. Um, but yeah, I think with how I talked about the college pitchers, like I think Rhett Louder makes a lot of sense here. The Twins have a lot of outfielders in the system currently. There's not a lot of college pitching. They've done a pretty good job with pitching development recently. Uh, and Rhett Louder was kind of the guy that had the momentum and posted all year and has good stuff. Like, I think there are a lot of indicators for Rhett Louder going pretty early. And so I think if he goes here, it wouldn't be shocking to me. Okay. So there's, you, you could see them going louder or even potentially a, one of these college bats on what would I would think would be an underslot type deal at five yeah i would like think I if if uh like if Braden taylor this seems to be the high mark for Braden taylor so if he's the pick like i would imagine it's an underslot deal jacob gonzalez and jacob wilson like both those guys have real outcomes where they could wind up in the middle of the first round so it would make sense for them to be on an underslot i'm not entirely sure if if louder would be or not it seems like he's a pretty safe bet at this point to go in the top 10 and I, I feel like he's got a reasonably realistic floor a few spots behind this so i would imagine his is not as steep of a haircut but again all this is me thinking out loud just kind of based on what i'm hearing um so potentially it seems like they can go in a lot of different directions and it might just be as simple as them just taking max clark who's the best player on the board he was at the combine i imagine they met with him there talked with him they've been scouting him hard so um yeah could could be a number of directions here yeah, do you, does it seem like the preference is more for a college player this year than it is for? I haven't heard that from. I haven't heard that directly from the Twins, but I it wouldn't shock me if that was the case. Like just based on some of the things in their system, like just who's available. I have like a hunch that maybe that that could happen. Um, there have been there have been just a lot of people who have associated college names with the twins enough so to make me think that that maybe is the demographic they want to go to whether that's with a pitcher like louder or with one of these hitters like a like a taylor or like a jacob wilson or like a jacob gonzalez and i, and I also don't know if they prefer wilson to gonzalez I, I wish i knew more about like how their model worked to feel confident in which of the two but i get kind of some people tell me oh like wilson wilson would be more favored there some people who say oh gonzalez would be favored there like it's tricky for me to figure out which one is actually the case all right what about then you go to oakland six oh, overall what <laughs> oh man why, why oh man yeah, it sounds like a lot of college players here. For whatever reason, I don't see them associated with with Max Clark as much, and maybe that's simply because uh, the Reds, it sounds like the Reds are more willing to overpay than the A's might be here. So if you have one of these five players slipping out, like the Reds overpaid Cam Collier last year, um, or they gave him an overslot deal, I should say, a few years ago. They did the same thing with Matt McClain. Like, I think they're more willing to kind of 
throw out some money here if one of these guys falls. And I haven't gotten the same sense that the A's would do that. I've heard the A's associated with a lot of the college players that I mentioned for the Twins. I think Kyle Teal is a name that also gets mentioned here. Um, based on the first five that we've talked about here on the podcast, uh, Braden Taylor would probably be the pick for me. Although, again, I don't have any more confidence in Taylor than a Kyle Teal or Jacob Wilson. Like, I think all these players are kind of equally in the mix, at least as far as I'm aware. So my source, you told me that the A's are just going to blow out their bonus pool this year and spend $200 million on the draft is wrong. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think you can take that one to the bank, Ben. I would, mm. I would be cautious of that rumor. <laughs> all right. So, I mean, from the, or, from the A's system at this point, what, what's their biggest need? <laughs> you mean in the farm system <laughs> yeah or just overall like well, I, overall, I don't think they have a need for a new owner i think but yeah. <laughs> well there, you can't find that in the draft unfortunately yeah uh an owner draft would be fun yeah. <laughs> mix it up um <laughs> i mean just, just pulling up what they've done in the last few years like how, how would you assess how the a's have done in the draft recently there's some some hits. I think the uh, the Austin Beck pick is the one that really jumps out. Yeah, Austin Beck, Kyler Murray, Logan Davidson, Tyler oh, yeah. Shurtisum, Max Muncie, Daniel Susak. Um, we haven't seen a high school pitcher for them in a while. I don't I don't think there's one on the board that makes it. I mean, I, I say that, but I do think they scouted Noble Meyer and Thomas White pretty hard this this spring. Like we haven't talked about them much this feels like the first kind of range for those players. And, and I didn't mention Noble Meyer with the twins, but I do think that like he's a real candidate for them. Although I, I wouldn't mock it. I, maybe this is where the first kind of high school pitchers start showing up. It, it feels dicey to put them in play here, just given some of the bats that are available. But we did hear about the A's scouting both Noble Meyer and Thomas way who are the top high school pitchers on our board. That would be a very risky play for them. And I think, given the state of the organization, I think you can make a case that going with a safe play is smarter. Uh, but what do you think about that? Yeah. And they definitely had some, you know, big decision maker. And when they <laughs> saw probably one of the best starts that uh, Thomas White has ever had, I was there uh, and I seen all, as many Thomas White starts as anybody. So if you, if you came away from that start, you had to be super impressed, but like you said, mocking, especially this year with so many talented hitters at the top of this class, a uh, high school pitcher this high is going to be probably tough to yeah. mock unless you hear like a really strong connection between. Yeah. And, between and the they, I think you could argue it both ways. Like last time they were picking in the top 10, 2018, 2017, they took Austin Beck six. They took Kyler Murray nine. I think both of those players could be reasonably pegged as like risky types. Maybe that's a little bit of hindsight bias for Austin Beck, but he wasn't on the showcase circuit. He had the injury issues. Kyler Murray obviously had the two-way factor. They weren't afraid to take risks on athletic players they really liked. Um, maybe the fact that those picks haven't panned out have made them change course, or maybe that just tells us that they're really not afraid to take a little bit of risk when they're picking in this range. I'm not sure. Yeah, I also think to take as much as I like Noble Meyer and Thomas White and think both of them should be first round picks to take either of those high school pitchers when Max Clark could potentially still be on the board would be 
absolutely bonkers to me. Well, well, Ben, I, I don't do the mock draft do. based on what you would do, or else <laughs> Kevin McGonagall would have been talked about quite a li- quite a while ago. <laughs> All right. So but, let's. Uh, uh, yeah, you mentioned the Reds though as a team that has been not not like not overpaying o- paying over slot for players who have been available later in the draft than maybe were expected. They're picking at number seven. What? What kind of players would be in in the mix for them at seven? I feel like they'd love for Jenkins to get to them at seven. Um, if there's a scenario where where Jenkins slides uh, past the Rangers, past the Twins, like I feel like the Reds would be a real landing spot for him at seven. They've got thirteen point seven in total bonus pool. Um, I think that in this scenario where Max Clark hasn't gone yet, like they they could just take the the top guy who fell out of that group and and pay him again, like Kyle Teal, Rhett Louder, both those players make sense if they're still on the board. Um, I think the Reds are at a number of different demographics. They like athletes. Uh, They've taken a lot of infielders in the past. So maybe, maybe Jacob Wilson, Jacob Gonzalez, like, if they think they're the best players on the board, I think they probably take them, but I, I've heard more of Teal, Louder, and one of the if one of the top five slides is like a, a reasonable landing spot with the Reds here at seven. Yeah. You, you think that's more likely than Clark or Jenkins being still available at this pick? Do I think that either Teal or Louder is more likely? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, yeah, one of the college guys. I think it's probably more likely that Kyle Teal is available than one of those high school players just because their range seems to start sooner. So, yeah, that's probably the simplest way to answer that question. Um, right. But you think there's a real chance they could end up getting either one of Clark or Jenkins, even at seven? It seems that way. Like, it feels, it doesn't feel as improbable now as it maybe felt to me two or three weeks ago. Uh, but I also like, I'm not sure if this draft is going to be like 2019 where we had six clear cut top players who went one, two, three, four, five, six, or if this is going to be like one of the past few years where there was a surprise, like it, it only takes one surprise in front of them to move someone down the board. Mm-hmm. And, and I get the sense that they'd be willing to overpay like what maybe Oakland would want to do in front of them. Again, a lot of this is a lot of this is guesswork and trying to piece together clues throughout the industry, but we only like we've talked about a couple of teams who could go in weird directions, maybe players off the board that they're considering. If the Rangers have an underslot deal at four, if the Twins take a college hitter like Braden Taylor, like all of a sudden the Reds are sitting pretty to to kind of catch one of these guys who slips a little further than we think. Again, maybe maybe the draft happens and all these top five guys go one, two, three, four, five. I hope that happens because I think those are the best players in the class. But if it doesn't, I think the Reds are in a pretty good position to sit here and catch one of them. Well, I hope whatever happens is what exactly is what you have on your mock draft. So, <laughs> yeah, that, I hope that as well. That would be a, a fantastic outcome. I, I think if the Reds are able to get, I mean, it it seems like, again, maybe Max Clark ends up going number one overall and all, and all of this is, is moot, but mm-hmm. it seems like maybe there's a better chance of Clark getting to them than Jenkins. But if, if they get... I mean, either of those guys, but if they're able to get Max Clark at number seven, if I'm a Reds fan, 
I would be absolutely elated with, yeah. with that pick. I, I don't You would love it. I mean, you've long been on like Max Clark as a legitimate one one talent. You're you're big on his power coming in the future. Like he's a great center fielder. It's a great hit tool. I think you have to be elated. I mean, it's an elite draft class and you're getting one of the elite talents at a pick where you probably didn't expect to. Yeah. And I think I you're right that it's I think you're right that it's more likely that Max gets there because I also think the Twins have really scouted Walker Jenkins pretty hard. If, if he doesn't go at four, like I think five is a real landing spot for him. Again, I think I think the Twins, it's tough to eliminate either of these high school players from the Twins specifically. Um, but yeah, to your point, the Reds getting Max Clark here would be a really good value. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at what Corbin Carroll is doing this year in Arizona, and I think Clark is better player than Carroll was coming out of high school. I mean, obviously we both like Carroll quite a lot coming out of high school. I know you were especially high on him, but he was this, you know, he was the 16th overall pick for how they're regarded within their draft class before. And at the time of the draft, I think that's perfectly accurate to say, like we can use all the hindsight we want to elevate Carroll, but he made it to pick 16 and that was kind of where he was ranked on boards. It's not like he slid to that. But you look at just the way he's playing this year and the type of profile he has right now where he makes, you know, left-handed hitter who makes a, a lot of contact, um, has a you know good feel for the strike zone, and, you know, people question maybe the power, I would say early on, even as soon as – even as recent as coming into this year. I know we on the podcast said, hey, no, this guy hits the ball a lot harder than you think. Now I didn't think going to the all-star break, he'd have 18 home runs already. Um, so he's even surpassed uh, kind of our, mm-hmm. or at least my bullish expectations. Yeah. On not, that. not Jeff's though. Jeff, Jeff called a 30 home run season. So he was on it, but I do think he you're right. Like it, 30 it seems... home run season for him this year. Yes, he absolutely did. Wow. Ask him or ask Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah, Jeff, uh... Jeff has been like leading the charge for Corbin Carroll power. Uh, so, so kudos to him for that one. All right. I was going to say I was right with him, but maybe not, maybe not, <laughs> no, he was, not that, I think that we were, I think me and you were both optimistic about like what his power could be. He was, he was towards the like extreme end of the spectrum of, of outcomes, I think, and is probably being pretty accurate for it too. So. Yeah. But I, I think that could end up happening with Max Clark. Now maybe the power projection doesn't end up coming around but i think there's just you watch him take bp there is power in there like when he really lets it unleash there's power just more the approaches make a lot of contact use the whole field spread the ball around but i I just think as he matures as a hitter and learns which pitches to take a chance on and try to drive to the pull side you're going to see more power and then like you said plus plus runner plus plus arm yeah. to center field premium position i mean it, it's more I, I i understand why a team would have dylan cruz or wyatt langford ahead of him but i mean mm-hmm. you look at cruz langford or walker jenkins too. throw him in the mix who's most likely of all of those players to play in center field i would say it's clark no i think Cruz could stay in center field and I'm not writing the other guys off of center field entirely yet either. And those, you know, Langford and Cruz obviously yeah. have SEC track record too. I'm not discounting that, but there think is, there's just a lot of things to like with, with Max Clark. Yeah. I think in terms of likelihood of center field, I think it goes 
Clark, Cruz, Jenkins, Langford, probably. Um, and I think you make a lot of good good comparisons to Clark versus Corbin Carroll at the same age. I think the biggest separator is, is Carroll's approach, which is so advanced and refined at that age. And Clark seems just a lot more toolsy, more physical. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's get into the Royals next. So Kansas City has a $12 million total bonus pool. This one's 5.9 uh, on the on the slot value specifically here. They're a team who I've heard some rumors about hunting for an underslot deal. I guess when that's the case, it could be a number of different players who make sense. Um, I don't have an entirely great read on the Royals, but right now Blake Mitchell is a link that I've heard a decent bit. Um, I think on talent, he fits close to here. Maybe more middle of the first. We have him kind of right in the middle of the first round. Um, but I don't think it's like some crazy reach. If Blake Mitchell is the player here and there's really not a ton of catching in this class, maybe it would be a little surprising to see Blake Mitchell go off the board before Kyle Teal, just given how they talked. But but that's a link that I've heard here for the Royals. Um, any thoughts on that? They're, they're also another team that gets linked to high school pitchers more for whatever reason. And they also just took Frank Mazzucato a few years ago, who was kind of a surprise top 10 pick. And they're picking right in that range now. I guess they could surprise us again this year. Well, they didn't surprise you last year because you had, I think you had Gavin Cross with them last year. Yeah. So did have Gavin Cross. And I think that one's easier because it's like one of those college hitters. You're like, oh, at this stage, I think we had all the other college hitters off the board and cross kind of the next next best player up. I don't, I don't think this is the exact same thing with Blake Mitchell here or else I probably would have uh, just kind of scanning through the list, like a Jacob Wilson or Jacob Gonzalez maybe would be the, the comparisons, but yeah, maybe we can make it back to back with the Royals. That'd be nice. Yeah. I think Blake Mitchell obviously is a talented player. I think it would be. And again, it obviously all depends on what you do with the rest of your bonus pool money and your later mm-hmm. picks. But, uh, a high school catcher who is not an absolute elite, elite hitter in the top 10 overall picks, I think is still a pretty mm-hmm. aggressive play for a team yeah. to be making. I don't think that Blake Mitchell is the sort of prospect that like me or you get really excited about Ben, but I have talked to some people in the industry who are really excited about the upside that Blake Mitchell offers, like the power that he provides at the position. It sounds like he had a really good spring. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I might think about Blake Mitchell a little bit differently if I saw him in person this spring, just because there was some swing and miss on the circuit. Like I, I question how much contact it's going to be because of that. I, I think he probably still is more of a power over hit player, but if you have a catcher who has a plus arm and you think he's going to be a good defender, there are not a lot of catchers who are left-handed hitters who offer the sort of power that he can provide. And if so, like if you feel confident on that hit tool, that makes a lot of sense. I think other names that make sense here, again, Noble Meyer, Braden Taylor, Cal Teal, Jacob Wilson, like none of those would shock me. Um, I wonder about the college arms, like would they consider Chase Dolander? Like he, he seems to make sense here. If Rhett Louder gets here, I would think he's certainly in consideration. So that's kind of what I'm feeling for the Royals here. Do you think they would, like you said, Mazzucato uh, a couple of years ago, 
do you think they would be one of the more likely teams to draft a high school pitcher like a Noble Meyer or a Thomas White with the eighth overall pick? Or yeah, just the because they teams in the top ten, I should say. I think so. It's it's also probably a bit of a cop out just because they're towards the back of the top ten and towards that range, it just feels more likely overall just kind of given some of the talent you're picking around at that range. But the fact that they did it with Frank Mazzucato, I don't know how much like lefty versus righty from the prep demographic really matters. I've gotten some feedback that the like, ownership might want to not want to do a high school pitcher this year with this pick. But I, I think the people in charge of scouting would be fine doing it if they have a guy they like. And Noble Meyer certainly makes sense on talent. Um, I think you could say more so than Blake Mitchell, at least I would, but I'm also less risk averse to high school pitchers because I'm not the one that's actually taking them. Um, but yeah, I, I think long, long story short, I, I do think they would be one of the teams that uh, is maybe more likely to take a high school pitcher. We've, we've heard them link to Noble Meyer quite a bit. I'm not sure if that's just a factor of like the draft board and where he ranks um, just getting a talent off the board. I also feel like it's the case that the high school pitchers this year, given how hitter friendly it is, both on the high school and college side, it wouldn't shock me if this is one of the years where the high school pitchers just slid because of that. Um, Because there are more teams who are just, just not considering high school pitcher at all, regardless, like that's just something that's off their board. Whereas it's not really the case for, for college pitchers or college hitters or high school hitters. Most teams are pretty open to those demographics um, so I think that's just kind of the natural state of how the, the draft works sometimes. And it's a really good hitting year. What about the Rockies at number nine? What direction do you see them going? Yeah, a lot of pitching rumors with the Rockies. It, it feels like this is near the bottom end of the range that, that Rhett Lauder uh, would be in. Uh, if he's on the board, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Rhett Lauder is the pick. Again, he's got a lot of interest in front of them. Uh, so I'm not sure how easy it'll be to get him down to that pick. It sounds like Braden Taylor, another potential landing spot for him is here. Uh, Chase Dolander, like I think there are some people who might make that connection with Chase Dolander and the Rockies. Again, that could be on talent, could be on their interest. I think like thinking about Rhett Lauder out loud, he's actually really interesting for the Rockies specifically because he is a ground ball heavy pitcher. He is a change-up reliant pitcher. He has that sinker fastball. It feels like if you were going to take a pitcher who really plays well in cores, Rhett Lauder would be that guy. I don't know if you you believe that the same, but someone who has such a good change-up compared to a guy like Dolander, who maybe is more reliant on his slider as go-to secondary, I wonder how much of a factor that would be for the Rockies. And and if, if you were kind of running things there, how much would you factor that in for them? Because pitching with them is so much more difficult. Well, and and the fact that Louder was just better this year than Chase Dolander. I mean, we we wouldn't have him mm-hmm. that way coming into the year. Obviously, Dolander was ahead, but he just, I mean, he wasn't bad, but he just didn't dominate the way that Louder did from start to, I mean, the finish start that mm-hmm. he had in the College World Series mm-hmm. against uh, Paul Skeens, one of the best, just one of the best baseball games I've ever seen in my yeah, life. So that was a phenomenal um, matchup. Yeah, it was like, you know, I think JJ put the story. Yeah. yeah, JJ wrote the story like maybe the best pitching matchup we've ever seen at the college level. And they both posted, they both posted a sub to ERA this spring. Yeah, R- Louder just kind of kept doing it every single 
game throughout the spring. I think Chase Dolander had chances to show that he was the 2020 version and never really quite did. He, it never felt like he had a dominant outing followed up by another dominant outing. It always just felt like wasn't fully there early on. He was letting up home runs in contact and a little shaky. Then he would dial it in. Um, but both Rhett Louder and Paul Skeens really just dominated this spring like very few other pitchers did in this offensive friendly environment. So uh, I, I think at this point it's more likely that the first two or the first two arms are Skeens and then Rhett Louder, just given how the industry's talking about these guys. But at the same time, I think there's still a lot of hope within the scouting industry that that Chase Dolander can still be pretty elite. Like teams think that it's not a, a massive tweak necessary to kind of unlock that 2022 version. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody's giving up on Dolander. It's just the more the opportunity cost of who else is ahead of him yeah. and given the struggles that he did have this past season. Yeah. Have to, like, I think I it's think a it's, lot easier too to to look at the guy like when you're making the case for your GM or whoever's signing off on the pick to say, Hey, this guy, like look at what he did all spring, like that GM's gonna feel a lot more confident with the guy who just posted than the guy who didn't. I think that makes the guy who you're gonna have to fix with a top 10 pick is kind of I I would be I would think there's probably a more likely chance that Chase Dolander does not go in the top 10 picks than that Rhett Louder does not go in the top 10 picks yeah I think I think that's definitely the case but I could also see him both going in the top 10 picks too (laughs) (laughs) absolutely Um, how about the how about the Marlins what what kind of player to use a lot of hitters with a lot of hitters tied to them which is is funny because i feel like the marlins have a really great reputation for developing pitchers and they've really not had the greatest success with hitters recently and maybe that's maybe that's why they're taking a hitter you need to to get an elite talent you need to stock the system with some bats you feel good about what you can do with pitchers so you need to take take your chance here when you're picking at the top third of a draft and go for a hitter so I mean, all of the college players that we've mentioned already, again, Braden Taylor is a guy that I'm probably going to mention a lot here just because he seems like a very attractive profile for a number of different teams. Um, Jacob Wilson, Jacob Gonzalez, Matt Shaw. I think this is probably the range where Matt Shaw starts to become a little bit more interesting. Maryland shortstop. Uh, I think probably they're in on high school hitters as well. A guy like Arjun Namala could make some sense. I haven't heard Colin Houck specifically um, but if they're in on the Mala, I would think like how could be interesting to them as well. One, one late rumor that I heard with the Marlins is Colt Emerson, which would be interesting. Like if they wanted to do an underslot deal with him at 10, uh, cause he has a lot of potential landing spots in like the second half of the first round that could be interesting. Um, but yeah, it's mostly been hitters, uh, for whatever reason, even though I think like Chase Dolander, Hurston Waldrip either of the high school arms. Like I think all those guys make sense on talent. And I mean, personally, I would like to see an arm with the Marlins just because I like watching them develop pitchers, but uh, everything I've heard is hitters. And I've also heard from some people who expect them to go for a college bat too. So uh, that's kind of where I'm thinking with the Marlins at this point. Yeah. Well, I think if you're good at developing pitching, then it could also make you more likely to use one of your later picks on pitching with the hope that you can either yeah. identify players who have traits that project well, and that you can help them mm-hmm. develop more so than finding a, a hit or late who you think you can develop and then take your, you know, take your bats early on. And a lot of those guys do sound like, 
maybe, maybe Namal is the exception there, but otherwise it sounds like very, mm-hmm. very hitterish hitters too, not like power mm-hmm. over hit type guys. Uh, it seems like a lot of high contact bats. I mean, certainly Jacob Wilson fits that mold. Colt Emerson, mm-hmm. the Ohio high school shortstop you mentioned is a, you know, young, young shortstop, one of the better, you know, left-handed hitting uh, just one of the better, you know, hitterish type guys from, from the left side in mm-hmm. high school this year. So I think that would be, that'd be very aggressive for him. I think at that point, but obviously, like you said, if, if they were to do something like that, you'd be getting a deal to spend more money on somebody later on in the draft. But I, I suspect you're probably right that it's, it's going to be a, a hitter at that pick. Yeah. And they also have pick number 35, which is certainly a factor. So if they like a player who think they think it's going to go in between those picks and Cole Emerson certainly fits that um, maybe it's just a case where you take the guy you like, and then you can try and slide someone to 35 just because it is such a talented class. Like I think they're in a pretty good position to do something creative like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Then looking at their last few hitters, uh, they took Jacob Berry last year. Obviously he's not panned out exactly how they expected Khalil Watson in 2021. Uh, they took Joe Mackin with the 31st pick in 2021. Then they took Max Meyer, third overall in 2020, J.J. Bladey in 2019, Cameron Misner 2019, and Connor Scott 2018. So a lot of these hitters they've they've gotten haven't really panned out, so maybe you just want to try and take another swing at it and, and see if you can get some, some hitting talent in the system because I know that is the big criticism with them is they just don't have a lot of bats coming up. Also, if the board shakes out so far the way we've talked, we're you know, now louder and – Dollinger are not even available. Like, I, I guess you could take uh, Hurston Waldrip or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Noble Meyer or Thomas White, but uh, there's just not like a ton of other, especially college pitching options if you want to go the college route to, to look at here. Although probably one of those guys could still be available at this pick. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I do think throughout the 10 to 20 range, it's like going to be very hitter heavy. Uh, just because a few of these elite college pitchers should go in the top 10. And then after that, there are a lot of really good hitters. Uh, and there are a lot of teams who seem to be on similar players in this 10 to 20 range. So uh, I think you could probably set the over under on pitchers between 11 and 20 at like one and a half. And it would be like really tricky to to figure out what that would be. I mean, maybe if you think the the high school guys are locks to go in this range, it's easy to take the over, but I don't know that they are with, with how often all these teams are associated with hitters that we're going to talk about. Um, mm. Maybe we could set it at two and a half. Let's do it now, Ben. Over under on pitchers selected between picks. Let's just do 10 since we're talking about the Marlins. 10 and 20, two and a half. Is this a sponsored segment we're getting from a, a wagering website? or No, no actual <laughs> money. Just, just a gentleman's <laughs> wager here, Ben. <laughs> uh, we'll put it on the BA so- bet board. Just any pitcher, like any pitcher at all, going from picks ten to twenty. The over under is two point five. I think I might take go. the under. Actually, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go under too. And look, look okay, at the cool. teams that are picking there too. I'm gonna take the under. Yeah, so play along if you're listening and want to let let us know if you took the under or over, or maybe just keep it to yourself and and be happy if you got it right and just ignore it if you got it wrong. But I think that that is maybe something to watch in the middle of the first round. Just a lot of bats I'm expecting to go off the board. Uh, what about the Angels at eleven? Which uh, which college hitter are they going to take and send to the big leagues by the end of the year? <laughs> 
Um, right now, I've got them with. Uh, did I even say who my pick was for the Marlins? By the way, it, it was Jacob Gonzalez. Jacob um, Gonzalez. Okay. But but at, for the Angels, uh, I, I've got Matt Shaw. I think they are still one of the teams who wouldn't surprise me if they took a pitcher like Hurston Waldrop makes a lot of sense for them. Just considering some of the arms they've taken previously, if they want to fast track somebody, maybe Waldrop has the stuff to do so, though I think he needs a little bit more more seasoning in the pitchability department. Uh, I think that if they don't take a Waldrop or if Dolander is like not available there and they don't take him, like they're a good bet for a fast-moving college hitter. Um, maybe Shaw is that. Kyle Teal is on the board. In this scenario, Jacob Wilson could be a guy who has some similarities to, to Zach Neto from a year ago. Um, again, I don't, I don't think you can ever take too many shortstops. They'll, they'll figure it out if they're all really successful. It's not a big deal. Um, and then I guess with all these players, like it'd be hard not to mention Tommy Troy too, though I have some sense that, that Jacob Wilson might go before Tommy Troy. So a lot of these like up the middle college infield types, um, make some sense here. And Braden Taylor is off the board in this mock, but that'd be another name I throw out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a lot of college. But I mean, if if louder, you know, there's any chance Rhett Louder could be available here, or is it pretty likely he's in the top? I would. I mean, never say never because it's the baseball draft, and you never know. But I would be pretty surprised if he was available here. I think the Angels would be pretty thrilled to get him. They also don't have a big bonus pool. It's eight point three million total. Um, Again, it's harder to slide college players, but yeah, I would be a little surprised if he was still available. I think if they go college arm, I think Dolander and Hurston Waldrop are much more likely. Yeah. Is there, uh, I mean, their last two picks, obviously, with Neto at Campbell, Sam Backman out of uh, uh, Miami of Ohio. Is there some small school <laughs> guy or smaller uh, program guy they're going to? I mean, Joe, Joe Whitman at Kent State. Is yeah. a guy who's gotten some buzz. Like if there's a college lefty, he he really finished the season well. Uh, maybe it's him. I mean that that seems kind of high to me, uh, just given some of the other players who are on the board. But if if you're looking for a small school pitcher, maybe that's it. Small school. We have any small school hitters on the board here? I don't think so. Right. I mean, I, Jacob Wilson. There you go. I don't know if Grand Canyon counts as small school, but it's more similar. Again, it's got a lot of meadow similarities. Maybe that's the one you want. What's the what's the similarity there? Just like, like non-power contact. conference contact hitting shortstops with good defense. I think Neto has more like had more impact at the same time a year ago than Wilson does now. So it's not like a perfect comparison, but just yeah, just like smaller school college hitting shortstop with good uh, good bat to ball skills. See, I would take Bryce Eldridge to replace Otani as a two-way guy mm-hmm. here. I think that yeah. you, you draft for need. At- they're just going to draft uh, Jack Caglione <laughs> next year. That's what they're going to do. <laughs> draft for need and get the two-way guy. Yeah, if you want the two-way guy, Bryce Eldridge. I, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of looking back through. I don't think the Eldridge to to Angels is a crazy uh, scenario. Like, I think that's probably no, maybe just, one of the I highest. I was just completely joking, but okay. <laughs> no, I actually, you said that. I think that... Uh, that I would not have like a zero percent chance. Like I, I've heard the Angels as a team tied to Bryce Eldridge. There are a few, and it feels like they're the highest. Like there are some teams that are picking in front 
like teams picking in the top five that I think are on Eldridge, but my assumption is it's for their second picks. Um, with the Angels, uh, maybe that's the case with them too, but I do think they like Bryce Eldridge, so it's funny that you say that. Right. You're right. They're, they're going to lose Otani, so they need the replacement. Uh, Bryce just needs to start throwing like 10 miles per hour harder, switch hands, and also start running a lot faster, and then he'll be good to go. Yeah, well, it's uh, <laughs> kind of a tall ask for anybody to be uh, Shohei Otani. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, we'll, maybe let's stop the Otani comps across the board. I know, dude. It's like every two-way player in anywhere in college in high school is like the next the the yeah. blank otani and it's like have you guys seen otani play <laughs> like yeah it's not uh not really an apt comparison but what about the mm-hmm. d-backs at 12 yeah. a lot of a lot of hitters uh colin hauk gets tied to the d-backs quite a bit it wouldn't be surprising if he was the pick there i've heard that they scouted him pretty hard down the stretch um, seems like one of the first landing spots for Colin how Kyle Teal is another one. Like, I feel like we haven't talked about Kyle Teal a ton on this podcast. He is getting top 10 buzz. So wouldn't surprise me at all if he was not available here. Uh, if he is, I think they might be interested. He, he kind of has some of the, the hitting traits that they seemingly have liked in the past few years. Um, if neither of those two, again, like Jacob Gonzalez, Jacob Wilson, a lot of these, college hitters who get talked about Matt Shaw, like all those guys, I think would make sense. Um, haven't heard them linked to many high school pitchers at all. Uh, I don't know if they're like entirely out on that demographic or uh, just would prefer a bat. I'm trying to see here the last time they took a high school like, pitcher this high. Like Walston. Yeah. And he was like their second pick in 2019 after they took Carroll, they took him at 26. They took Brennan Malone in 2019 too. Um, just haven't seen them invest a ton very early in high school pitching. I guess you have to go back to Tukey Toussaint in 2014 uh, for that. So, yeah, I think I think a hitter here is probably a safe bet. All right. Does it, uh, it doesn't seem like a college versus high school here. It seems like there's just a mix of hitters who could be in consideration for them. Yeah, and, and Hauk specifically, for whatever reason, is kind of the link with them. I guess a lot of people know they they really like him quite a bit. I haven't heard a ton of other hitters, but if they're just open to hitting in general, I would assume Namala and Aiden Miller and Blake Mitchell are all uh, considerations as well, though I just haven't heard those names as much specifically tied to them. All right, what about the Cubs at 13? Which Which kind of direction or which players do you see them gravitating towards? Yeah, I've had them tied to a number of different demographics, like all over the place, high school, college, pitching. Um, like it seems like they would be in on a Thomas White or a Noble Meyer potentially there. Like Matt Shaw is a name that's brought up. Uh, Aiden Miller is a name that's brought up. Um, they've been tied to some players who maybe make sense later on, like uh Trent Caraway or an Adrian Santana or a Colt Emerson. Like a lot of a lot of names are getting tied to them. I have them here with Jacob Wilson just because they're tied to so many demographics. I feel like they're kind of just casting a wide net and, and seeing what falls to them. And in this scenario, I have them taking just the best player available on the board uh, in Wilson, who maybe has the best contact ability uh, in the class. Um, so tough to pin them down specifically. I think they're open to a lot of different things still. 
Yeah, it seems like a lot of it could depend on what happens on the board ahead of them and who ends mm-hmm. up being, like you said, the best player available who might slip down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they've taken college pitching recently. Kate Horton at number seven and 22. Jordan Wicks at number 21 in, in 2021. Um, I mean, even the year prior, 2019, if you skip over the Ed Howard year, they took Ryan Jensen. So it's been a lot of college arms for them. I don't know that they're going to have any of that to pick from. If they want to keep with college arms, maybe Waldrop is the most likely player to be available. But if he goes off the board in front of them, it's it's really a pretty big gap between the next guy. So I think just hitters are more than likely going to be the best available. Then you got the Red Sox at 14. Where, Where do you see them heading? Yeah, they've, I mean, kind of the opposite as the Cubs. They've taken a lot of high school hitters in the past few years. Uh, there should be a number of high school hitters available on the board for them to take. They've done the underslot maneuver a few years um, when they're not picking at four and getting Marcelo Meyer to fall to them. So, like, I would think they go there. I'm just pulling up their draft history now. I mean, it's been Mikey Romero, Marcelo Meyer, Nick York, Tristan Casas, each of their last four first-round picks. Right now I have them with Aiden Miller, um, and I think that he has a wide enough range to where maybe he could potentially be an underslot uh, move for the Red Sox. He's It's been a little tricky for Aiden just because he was injured this year, didn't play as much. I think if he was healthy and hitting, there might be a lot more teams who you hear associated with him because I do think he's one of the best pure hitters in the class with great power as well. I'm not sure, Ben, where you're at on him, but I think that he makes a lot of sense with like what the Red Sox have done recently. I think it makes sense on talent. It's a link we've heard, um, so I'm kind of going with that one. But I'm really curious to see what the the California high school shortstop is they pick later in the draft because I don't know if there's like an obvious one right now for for 14. Yeah, he's got a lot of physicality, a ton of bat speed, big power. He's always hitting games as an amateur. It's maybe not the like you just I think of some of those other hitters that they drafted like Nick York or Mikey Romero who maybe have more pure swings mm-hmm. than Aiden Miller. So it's a little different there, but obviously Miller's itch, but I think he's he's more quite a bit more explosive than those guys, right? Do you think he's yeah, power I mean, over hit or do you think he's hit enough to to make well, the, I mean the the thing with him that's tricky like you mentioned is that he barely played this year cuz he was hurt. So you're going off of a lot of older reports with him which i mean somebody's gonna do it and pay him a lot of mm-hmm. money and deservedly so but with a top 15 overall pick like he's somebody where i could see him sliding deeper just because as you as it comes closer to making a you have to make a decision as a team and we've talked about how many good hitters, even just high school hitters there are in addition to the college guys too, but just how many good high school hitters there are available. And you just have so much more recent information to feel more certain and more confident in your evaluation in those players mm-hmm. than you are with Miller. I could see teams ultimately saying uh, like, yeah, like we like Miller. He'd be in the consideration for the next you know, a few guys if, if we had to choose somebody, but we're going to take somebody who we've just, you know, seen playing and healthy more mm-hmm. this season. Well, yeah, could, that's I true. They also too. took 
They also took, I think like the Nick York pick kind of speaks to their confidence and their, their either their ability to evaluate hitters or just their confidence in going with guys who they like. Cause Nick York, he was definitely an off the board pick in 2020. The COVID shutdown obviously meant they hadn't seen him in quite a while. Uh, and for Miller specifically, I guess me personally, I would rather him be hurt in the spring and see him in the summer than vice versa. Although Aiden Miller does play in Florida. And I think that's a state where teams, uh, the quality of the ABs that you have in Florida means a little bit more than maybe some other states. So ideally you'd get both, but he's, he's a fascinating player. I am curious, like if he doesn't go here, how far does he slide or what are other potential landing spots? Cause I do think he's maybe one of the first players we're talking about that has a, a fairly wide range of outcomes for all the reasons that you mentioned. All right. The White Sox at 15. I loved them drafting Noah Schultz. Last year, left-hander, yeah. getting really good reviews so far. And obviously short burst this season, but that pick looks mm-hmm. pretty strong early on at least. You, they go another – could they be a team that takes a, a Noble Meyer or, or a high school pitcher again? Or which which way do you see them heading? They could, but I've heard more college names linked with them lately, kind of consistently throughout the spring. I've heard them tied Mm -hmm. to college names, college third baseman. I think they're maybe uh, one of the first few teams that makes sense for for a guy like Brock Wilkin or a player like Johanny Morales. Like I've I've heard them tied to both those players. And so, again, Braden Taylor could make sense as a college third baseman who's maybe a little bit more hit than power with those other two. Matt Shaw's, Tommy Troy's of the world, like a lot of college names with them. I mean, if Dolander gets here, maybe they go with an arm. Uh, again, I don't really know what the realistic floor is for Dolander, um, but you talked about like how you think it's more likely that he goes outside of the top 10 than louder. And we've talked about all the teams in front of the White Sox wanting hitters. So maybe that's a, an outcome that could actually happen. Um, yeah, all, all these kind of college hitters I think would be probably most likely although the fact that they just took schultz last year tells you that they're at least willing to consider uh, a high school pitcher at, at some point in the draft maybe picking top 15 is is too high for them there but yeah mostly college hitters yeah not seeing a high school pitcher potentially going to the top 15 definitely mm-hmm. jumps out for me yeah and the mock i'm currently working i i think there's just a lot of elements at play that could allow that to happen like, I'm not telling you that it's going to happen. Noble Meyer could easily go in the top 10. Thomas White could easily go in the 10 to 20 range. Like, I think the Cubs are a team that watched him. But I think with the combination of, like, really impressive top-end talent that's hitting and with really good depth in the middle of the class that's hitting, and a lot of it on the college side, every year teams kind of say the high school pitcher slide and the college hitters move up the boards. I think it, it's possible we could see that play out. And there are a few landing spots in the middle of the draft that maybe one of these high school pitchers could slide to. And again, I think it's easier to try and slide a high school pitcher to your pick than it is a college player. Cause teams can always just pop the college player and say, okay, you're going to blink first. Cause you're not going back to college where you lose all your leverage, where the high school player actually has leverage to go to college. So. All right. How about the, 16 with the Giants. Giants, uh, a few different names here. Nolan Shaniwell's name comes up. We haven't talked about him as much. I think he kind of fits in this 
probably more 18 to like 23 range, but could be in play here. Walker Martin was a hot name with them. Enrique Bradfield could be a name here. All of the other college infielders that we've mentioned, if they're on the board, um, could make some sense. Very different player types. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of different combinations. I think maybe that just means they're looking for best player available when they get on the board. That could potentially be the case. Um, I've heard them link to Adrian Santana. Uh, there are a few sneaky teams that seem to be linked to Adrian Santana, so I guess he'd be a player. Maybe don't be surprised if he goes. Because, uh, again, if, if you like Santana and you think there are a couple landing spots for him in the first, but you view him as more of like a supplemental pick, you could still take him in the first on an underslot deal if that's just kind of your guy. Um, so those are, all, yeah, a, a bunch of different varieties. If they're in on Santana and they're in on Bradfield, maybe that, that tells you something about the Giants and, and the profiles that they're willing to take on and the risk tolerance and that they're, they're not worried about like these these players who are speedy up the middle types with lack of power. That's um, kind of interesting just thinking out loud here with them being tied to both Bradfield and Adrian Santana. But I have them in, the, in this mock with Bradfield. Uh, I think Bradfield can go anywhere from back at the top 10 throughout the, the middle of the first round. Yeah, Santana, I mean, Adrian Santana switch it in high school shortstop from uh, uh, the Miami area. That would be very aggressive, I think, on him. I mean, I like mm-hmm. him, but I think that would be a pretty healthy underslot deal if he was going to the middle of the first round. Yeah, there are some teams that are going to really be on him because he's super toolsy. He's probably the best defensive shortstop in the high school class in this range. Like Guys like Dylan Cup, guys like uh, Rock Chalowski maybe have a case, but he gets talked about quite a bit more than than those just in terms of like maybe going in the first because uh, of the speed, because of the switch hitting, because of the arm strength. Uh, I think there are some teams who are yeah, very young. Uh, so I think there are a number of teams that he's probably appealing for, and and he's just a name that, that's got a decent amount of buzz. Yeah, I mean, it, so it sounds like it seems like a lot of hitters in the mix for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that maybe is just more, again, we're going to probably talk about it a lot through the next few picks, but there's just not a lot of arms Um that that makes sense in this range. Like if you don't think a team is going to take a high school pitcher, there's not a college name that, that really makes sense. Um, although I guess I say that Herson Waldrop is on the board. He, he won't be on the board for too much longer, but he is there, I suppose. Hmm. Well, you had the 17 Orioles last year, you nailed their pick. So I expect no less than uh, uh, perfect accuracy again this year. Now that they're at 17, what do you got on, on them? Oh, who? Oh, yeah. They're, I was going to say, who did they take last year? Yeah, a little harder to hit 17 than to hit one, although one was tricky enough as it was last year. Um, I mean, model heavy team, they're tied to a number of different demographics. Um, Arjun Namala is one. He's super young. They do a great job with hitters. I think that would be a really good combination of just like toolsy hitter with a team that knows how to develop those types, one of the youngest players in the class. Nolan Shanuel, I would imagine they like him quite a bit there, given his hitting ability, power potential. Um, seems like kind of the the floor-ish range for guys like Jacob Gonzalez, Jacob Wilson, if they do slide this far. Maybe Tommy Troy is a name who, who starts to make sense more in this range. Um, maybe a sleeper is like Dylan Head. Uh I don't have as much confidence in that, but I did have head quite a bit lower in this mock and, and got some feedback that he could be going quite a bit earlier. So 
I guess the interesting thing for me is like, do the Orioles continue to just target bats when they're in this range or would they open it up and be more willing to take a pitcher with their first pick? Because they have been very hitter friendly or hitter heavy with their draft picks. They've done a, gr- a great job developing hitters. And I think the board just plays out for more, more hitter chances than for pitchers. But I mean, if you're the Orioles and you got a chance to get Noble Meyer here, I think that's pretty interesting given, given the state of your system, like take another guy who has a chance to be an impact starter, have a couple homegrown front of the rotation types and Grayson and and Noble that, that could be cool. But I, I haven't heard that one. I'm just more thinking out loud here. Yeah. It's certainly going to be interesting to see what they do now that they're actually uh, not picking at the very, very top of the draft. Yeah. But even when they've it's- had some of their picks beyond just their first pick, it seems like they've still gone. Yeah. After a lot of Gunnar Henderson, Kobe Mayo. Um, yeah, I guess I could pull up their board and see, but they, they really have been hitter heavy overall. Um, let me find out actually. Yeah, 2022. Yeah. Jackson Holiday, Dylan Beavers, Max Wagner, Judd Fabian, Noel McLean, who's drafted as a pitcher. I guess you could say he's a hitter too. 21. Uh, Colton Kowser, Connor Norby, Reed Trimble. They didn't take a pitcher until the fifth round. Uh, 2020, they took one pitcher. That was Carter Baumler as an overslot guy. So, yeah, you're right. They've, they've been super hitter heavy just overall. Um, I know they have a surplus of infield prospects currently. They maybe will trade away from that at the deadline this year. Uh, but who has ever had too many good hitters, Ben? No. And then I think, you know, looking at guys like Colton Kowser and Kerstad and, and some of the – just some of the other college hitters who they've drafted in the Mike Elias tenure guys who hit the ball really hard and have feel for the strike zone. It it makes me think of chase Davis too, outfielder in uh, Mm. Arizona who has also also cut his strikeout rate this year. I mean, we have him ranked as like a, you know, just a back of the first round type talent, but uh, he seems like somebody who would just kind of fit the mold and another, also another left-handed bad. Mm-hmm. Just, he just seems like somebody who would kind of fit the criteria of some of the checkpoints that they look for in hitters that they've drafted recently. Yeah. I think that could be a good call too. And I think we're kind of nearing the range that I expect Chase Davis to go off the board. So that wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, Brewers are next up. I think they're a potential landing spot for Waldrop if he's still on the board. And in this scenario that we're talking through here, he is. And so he would be the pick. The Brewers get tied to all manner of different players. Um, I've heard also that like Matt Shaw could be an option if he's still on the board. Uh, I think he's off in this scenario. Yeah, we had him going to the Angels. Um Nolan Chenuel, again, I think makes sense. Is probably going to make sense with a lot of players. This is another team that gets linked to Adrian Santana. Uh, I actually heard Joe Whitman here with the Brewers. So there are a couple interesting pitching options that maybe could happen. This is one team that, that I have heard linked with more pitchers than hitters. Uh, and so that's kind of the Hurston Waldrip logic. Although, given how he finished the year with some pretty solid starts and the pure stuff, it wouldn't shock me if he was off in the top 15. Yeah, as someone who covers the Brewers, what are your thoughts on like how they operate? I think they're very unlikely to take a high school pitcher. I mean, if at least Mm -hmm. at this spot, 
in the draft, like, you know, if they were picking somewhere deeper in the twenties, you could, I could see a scenario where that could come into play where somebody really slips down the draft and they just say, look, this is the best player available. But I mean, you look at their last And they have four. scooped up guys who have slid down in the past, but I guess most of those have been hitters who have fallen rather than, than pitchers. Yeah. Their last four picks have all been college hitters. They haven't drafted a high school player since Bryce Terang in 2018 with a first round mm-hmm. pick. So I think it's, and just, you know, knowing the organization, it's very likely they're going to gravitate toward a college player and probably somebody mm-hmm. who makes a lot of contact, makes good swing decisions. Um, you know, we see, you know, they Nolan, took Joey Nolan Will. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, I mean, also just as a guy is, you know, they'll, they'll take a chance on a guy like that as a, you know, a fourth round pick, but certainly you, you look up and down their organization and with their higher picks, obviously Garrett Mitchell being an exception to it. Cause he just fell deeper into the draft than was expected. But, uh, and maybe you can be opportunistic in that way, but in general, they tend to gravitate toward the high contact, good, good mm-hmm. strike zone discipline hitters where it's more of a, probably more of a hit over power type guy. Yeah. Well, Shannon Wells still on the board. He makes sense for, for a lot of those characteristics you're talking about. Uh, again, I think this this kind of range is, is where he fits for a lot of places. The Rays are up next. They are like consistently one of the hardest teams for me to get a read on. I feel like I never have any solid player team links with the Rays. Um, I know that like they're a team that seems to like Sammy Safura, although I feel like that makes more sense at, at 31. Um, Ty Pete is a name that gets mentioned with them. Um I think I I I think the Rays are pretty open to various demographics. I don't think they're a team that, that like eliminates certain types. And I have them with Colin Houck here, uh, more just like a kind of best player available thinking. I haven't heard him specifically linked to the Rays, um, but but they're super tricky for me. Um, so I'm curious to see what they do. I think Waldrop, if he's there, could make sense for the Rays. Waldrop, I think, has a lot of similarities to Shane McClanahan, and they've done really good stuff with pitchers in general throwing more strikes. So I feel like that like mm. pitch trait combination with the organization is a good one. Um, he's he's basically in a lot of ways like a right-handed Shane McClanahan, I think. Like filthy stuff, starter reliever questions, poor strikes in college and the Rays turned that into an ace with Shane McClanahan. So why couldn't they do it with, with Harrison Waldrop? Yeah. I think that would be a fascinating fit to see what the Rays could do to fix Harrison Waldrop. Cause I don't think anybody questions the stuff. It's just been more the, mm-hmm. whether it's pitch selection or just results or commands, it seems like a really good match potentially to have mm-hmm. him in that development pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next we got the Blue Jays, and we're kind of getting towards this like run of model heavy teams that are all linked to similar players. I've got Nolan Chaniwell here, uh, but I think Arjun Amala could make some sense if he's on the board. I think Chase Davis starts to make some sense here in this range. Um, still, still a lot of hitters, especially with Hurston Waldrop now off the board. Like, I don't know if the Blue Jays would do high school pitching, kind of pulling up their their drafts in, in recent years to see what they've done. But 
Yeah, going with Shani Well here, given how the board has played out. Yeah. Well, they took Brandon Barriera last mm-hmm. year. And right. Tommy White's sitting here on the board, so yeah, Noble Myers sitting here on the board. Yeah, Thomas White is better than Brandon Barriera was, but I don't know if they would necessarily mm-hmm. do it just that way when it is a stronger draft class overall this year. And then mm-hmm. again, if no, I think if Noble Meyer, as, as hesitant as I am on high school pitching in general, but you could get you could get Noble Meyer in yeah. the 20s, I, I would be pretty psyched about that. <laughs> well, and here's the interesting thing, too, to start, because Noble Meyer is going to come off the board shortly. And I think, at least in this mock draft, I'm, I'm talking about it as if it's the actual draft. But once you get players down in this range who are sliding, if you're an agent trying to find a home for your guy who's slipped down the board, like the Mariners are the very obvious landing spot. They've got a a bonus pool of $13 million. The teams in front of them, I mean, even going up to the Red Sox, it's 10 million, 9 million, 10 million, 10, 5, 10, 9, 10 million, 6, 5 for the Blue Jays, 6, 3 for the Cardinals. And then the Mariners have $13 million to work with. So like this is the team someone should slide in the draft. It happens every year. It happened with Matthew Libertor. It happened with Brady Singer. It happened with Khalil Watson. It happened with uh, Kevin Parada. Like it it happens every year for whatever reason, if it's just because the agents see the bonuses and like have a a more sure bet with the money there, you make the deal and you go down to the team with bonus pool. Like someone should slide to the Mariners here with their three picks before we get to pick 31 it's just a matter of like, who is that guy? Who's going to be the guy that's falling? And, and spoiler alert, we haven't got there yet. But I think if Noble Meyer is still in the board around this range, if you're Noble Meyer's camp, I mean, I'd much rather go to the Mariners with all that pool money than the Blue Jays or the Cardinals who have $6 million to work with total. Like, I feel like you have a better shot of, of getting top 10-ish, top 15 kind of money. But well, I guess they could go a number of different ways. You could play it straight up and wind up with three really good players could do a number of different things yeah i mean noble meyer is also in that area of uh just geographically too where i'm mm-hmm. sure he'd be thrilled to to go there mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i didn't even really think of that connection but noble meyer is also going to be at the draft so imagine noble meyer at the draft going to the hometown team in seattle that would be really fun i think uh and i think that like in general i'm kind of skipping over some teams but the mariners seem to be linked to a lot of high school players um so yeah maybe i'm like willing that one maybe i'm willing that into existence (laughs) yeah we'll have a you'll get a cup byline then don't worry what about all right well we've got the blue talk about the blue jays at 20 potentially you said nolan shanuel and and some other guys are are in that mix the cardinals at at 21 before we get cardinals 22 Kind of with the boards going off this way, like I think Chase Davis makes a lot of sense. I heard they really ran in and, and liked him quite a bit. Saw him a decent amount at the Pac-12 with some heat. It sounds like um, Hurston Waldrip, if he's here, could be a fit. Um, looking at the guys that I've had tied to the Cardinals previously, uh, Colin Houck, Bryce Eldridge fit on talent if they're here. Yeah, Davis is probably the heaviest link that I have currently, so that's kind of the guy I went with. And I've also heard that he's moved more up from that back of the first round range to this range around twenty. Like if he went at seventeen, it wouldn't shock me, and I, I don't expect him to get much further than like 
27, I guess. I think there are some teams in the strange that would maybe pass on him, but it feels like the Cardinals do like him. He does a lot of things that traditional scouts could like. He does a lot of things that maybe model heavy teams would like as well. The Cardinals seem like a decent blend of that. Uh, and they develop hitters really well. They just do player development well in general. So um, yeah. I guess Jordan Walker is a guy who I did not expect to hit as much as he has. Chase Davis has obviously shown more contact this spring, but maybe that's like a similar comparison just for that kind of hitting trait. Well, you mentioned Eldridge and Walker was kind of the guy I thought of there. I mean, that's not like a player comp, obviously. They're you know right-handed, left-handed, different, different type of guys, but similar in the sense just of – high school hitters with huge raw power and very long limbs. And if, you know, the Cardinals took Jordan Walker at 21, Eldridge seems like another guy who could fit into that mold for them. Yeah. Did you mention the two-way thing like Mason Wynn? Like that, that's interesting too. They took Wynn. I don't know if they. Yeah. Wynn was a two-way guy who, <laughs> you know, I wanted them to have him pitch. But, uh, I loved I think I wrote at the time when they drafted Tank Hence and Mason mm-hmm. Wynn. I was like, oh, I love this draft for the the Cardinals. They got two of my favorite pitchers. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think uh, I was with you on the pitching for him. But yeah, we get to see his arm at shortstop still. True, true. All right, let's move along to the guard. Yeah, so I guess your... we talked about the Mariners. Yeah. So you think you think the Mariners could be a fit for Noble Meyer than at twenty two? That's more like a kind of a function of the draft, how this played out. Like thinking through them sliding a player and Noble Meyer being the best player available on the board. Um, again, they're linked to everyone because theoretically they have access to everyone with their pool money. Um, Stafura is a name that's been linked. Namala is a name that's been linked. Uh, Alex Clemmy is a name that's been linked. Um, Johnny Farmello is a name that's been linked with them. Uh, I think like given the amount of college bats too, maybe if they want to diversify, maybe they want a guy like Johanny Morales or Brock Wilkin to add some power. Like they should be able to do a lot and they should be linked to a lot of players. So it's very hard to pin down like this specific one. I just think they're the team to watch after we get past, um, five, maybe seven, maybe. They also, how pissed are you going to be, Carlos? Because they pick at 22, what, 29 and 30. How pissed are you going to be if you get like one or even two Mariners picks right, but in the wrong order? I think I'll be happy if that happens, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, hitting on picks in this range is so so unlikely that I I will happily take that, I think. Uh, Maybe I'll be a little mad. You get half points. Typically, half half points points is how it works. If yeah, you get, if I, the Mariners a, take, if the Mariners take a, the guy you had them taking at twenty nine, but they actually take him at twenty two, you think you get half credit for that? Well, that's typically how it works. With like we're talking with Jim and Jonathan, we're, we're comparing mocks during the day. Like they've always done the half points. I think I kind of just adopted that from them. But like last year, the Braves took Owen Murphy in the first round. I had him to the Braves in this with their supplemental pick. I gave myself half points. I don't know if anyone else did, but I did. So yeah. I can tell you what I'll be doing, Ben. Yeah, I was going to say that definitely the mock drafters came up with that scoring system. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. Throw us a bone. No. All right. What about uh, which uh, which 17-year-old uh, switch hitting <laughs> shortstop or the Guardians going to take it? Number 23. Oh, 
Yeah, they they always get tied to the same same kind of players because they're so model driven young players. Like this feels like if Shani Wells on the board, he makes a lot of sense. He's not in this scenario. So Colt Emerson is young and hitterish, uh, and a small middle infielder who I think fits their mo to a T. So that that's one I have with them. Um, Eric Batanti is a name that's intriguing with them, maybe for a later pick, but they've also been a team that's done the underslot deal. And like, that wouldn't be crazy. I don't think um, Ty Floyd is a name who's getting buzz and the guardians are a team that values like the fastball characteristics that he has. So this feels like one of the first sort of ranges where, where he would make some sense. Um, but that's just kind of matching a pitch characteristic to a team that seemingly has valued it more than any direct link or connection that I've gotten. But those are some names for, for the guardians. I don't think yeah. that, that Chase Davis or Bryce Eldridge for them, even though they fit in this range on talent. Yeah. I mean, but Tanti, everyone just sort of either jokes or maybe half jokes about the guardians taking the super young players. So, but Tanti certainly fits. Yeah on that uh you know high school infielder who's still 17 years old out of california he does have the opposite of kind of what they generally have gone for as Mm -hmm. in in an offensive profile as a more of a power overhead type guy whereas emerson i mean a few of the model teams are tied to batanti minnesota is one milwaukee is another like i'm curious to see where he goes because it seems like there are enough teams that really like him uh that, that there's a chance he goes pretty soon on day one or not pretty soon yeah. on day one but at some point on day one i mean jacob wilson the grand canyon shortstop seems like the ultimate guardians player as an extreme mm-hmm. contact player with certainly power questions or the power questions enough where he could mm-hmm. get this far down the board or, or is he just going to be gone you think by by this point in my mind, he's gone by this point. But again, there's always someone who I think is going to be gone who's still sitting there. So, like you just saying that out loud makes me wonder: like, is it possible that he's there? And I, there are enough hitters, there are enough potential players we talked about that maybe that's the case. I, I have not seen him that low in anything that I've put out or talked through. And I think if I did, someone would be like, "Hey, why is he that low?" I, I think the con, like, someone is going to be in love with the contact in that defense at shortstop and the bloodlines i think to take him but again never say never yeah i i don't know i think my guy kevin mcgonagall is uh if you're looking for for hitterish bad first guys who have some size question marks guardians don't shy mm-hmm. from from that i i don't know too old I, next he, he would he would be my <laughs> recommendation for uh for, for them but yeah they, i mean they haven't actually drafted a, a high school I mean, they've really only drafted. It's, it's like it's interesting. We say all this stuff, but then they've drafted one high school shortstop with their <laughs> top pick in like the last ten years. But certainly, uh, yeah. And I also uh, don't know that I've like ever correctly mocked them. Last year, I think I had either Justin Crawford or Lesko with them, and those two went on either side of their pick, which was Chase DeLauder. Like <laughs> we had heard that they liked DeLauder. I just I never seem to line them up quite right. All right. Well, then, all right. The Guardians at 23. Like you said, potentially Colt Emerson, a whole bunch of guys in that mix. What about, what about the Braves? What are they doing? 
at 24. I think the Braves, I think the Braves would probably like the college bat to get to them. It doesn't seem like there are a lot that are going to, especially with how this has panned out. So they get tied to a lot of high school shortstops, a lot of high school players overall. George Lombard is a player who's been linked with them, who makes sense in this range, kind of in throughout the 20s. Uh, Bryce Eldridge is another name that gets mentioned with the Braves. Walker Martin is another one kind of along the same line. So like a lot of high school players, I think whoever the Braves are targeting, it wouldn't be surprising to see them do an underslot deal. Alex Anthopoulos is still running the show there. He's operated in that capacity in the past. So that's kind of what I'm thinking with them. With their competitive window, I think ideally you'd, you'd like a fast-moving college player. I just don't know that you, you have access to that that profile here who would be like the dream candidate or like like group of players who could fall potentially or they'd, they'd be i mean could fall into that range i for think them. any of these like college infielders that are talked about in the mid middle of the first round like if they fall like there's not a lot of offense right now in the brave system and so maybe this is me just matching like an organizational need with the team which we talk about all the time how you shouldn't do um, but I really think that you'd want to infuse some some offensive chops in that organization. They do a great job developing pitchers. So to your point earlier, maybe they could do some damage with pitchers drafted later. Um, but there are a lot of high upside high school hitters that I think would make a lot of sense for them. Just get, get some talent, the lower minors on the offensive side, uh, and, and just keep working your magic with the arms. So. I don't know. Yeah, maybe a, like... maybe a Tommy Troy. Maybe a uh, I don't know. Matt, Matt Shaw getting here seems crazy, but those guys, guys of that type, that I would imagine that's a dream if they do want a college hitter. But again, maybe yeah. that maybe it's simply like Brock Wilkin, Johan Di Morales. Like I don't think of the Braves as being on those players, but the Braves have picked out a Wake Forest a decent amount. Maybe they like Brock Wilkin's power. Uh, they're on the board here, and I feel like they're more likely to be available in the twenties if they absolutely do want a college bat. Mm-hmm. How about the Padres, 25? They seem like they're... The Padres, linked to every player in the universe every year. <laughs> Preller goes out and scouts a lot, so they get linked to a lot. I mean, Chase Davis, I he's a guy that we previously mocked. I think they do like him. Walker Martin is another name that we're hearing tied to San Diego. Dylan Head is another name that makes sense. Uh, I think the Padres, more than any other team, is a team that's just going to take the best player available the board who, who they think is the best player. Um, and so it really just depends on what happens in front of them, who makes their way down there. Uh, but they're tied to really every demographic. I, I don't think pitching in this scenario with some pitchers getting there, I wonder if they would take like a Thomas white here. Uh, I haven't heard that name linked to them, but that's not to say they wouldn't do it. They've taken prep pitching plenty of times in the past and that would represent a uh, best player available on the board, at least according to our board. Um, so you can't rule really anything out with the Padres. I feel like they're also tricky to mock because they so consistently are linked to so many players. Who did you end up having them with? I have them currently with Walker Martin. I think this is a real, a, a pretty good landing spot for Martin, as is the Giants. Uh, I think he's got some interest in between there, but these feel like the hottest links currently that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, s- extremely athletic shortstop uh it seems like a pretty sound swing power there too on the older ends of of the class for the high school players but and i don't think the padres care too much about age compared to some other model driven teams i think if they like the player they're going to take him regardless 
Yeah, even if he's like five years older than Ethan Salas. Or, yeah, no. yeah. who cares <laughs> if he can play? <laughs> he has 19.4 at the draft, which is probably one of the oldest high school players we'll mention here. Yeah, him and him and Aiden Miller would probably be the two. Yeah, I guess Sakura. Yep. Tra- oh, Travis Sakura. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Travis Sakura. I'd be surprised if he goes in the first round, but he'll, like you said, yeah. he'll. He haven't heard. Haven't heard his name he too should. much. So. All right. What about the the New York Yankees? 26 <laughs> the new york yankees uh, do you remember the guy who used to always announce the new york yankees on the like rounds three to ten he always came on and always said the new york yankees select goes <laughs> great you're the right people who listen to the draft uh they'll understand that reference uh, again sammy stifer here it's like the hottest link that we have of anyone like beyond i don't know 10 like this link just comes up over and over and over again. It really sounds like the Yankees like Sephora. They've scouted him a lot. Makes sense on talent. <laughs> He's been mocked here for like a month. It seems like maybe more. The one interesting thing that I think you brought up, Ben, is like if Tommy White is available on the board here and, and Stafura is on the board here, would they take a guy like Thomas White who they probably didn't expect to get to them? I think they'd consider it, but I also like the Yankees just haven't taken a lot of high school pitchers really since 2013 you have to go back to. Um, and so, yeah, again, I'm, I'm probably going to have Stiffer here in the final version of this mock, barring something crazy happening. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the chatter among Northeast scouts is uh, the Yankees and Stiffer and just how many different uh, high-up decision makers in that organization have gone in to see him. Um you know, the day I was there, Dana Brown was there, the GM with the Astros. Of course, the Astros mm-hmm. pick uh, two picks later, so the Yankees can <laughs> kind of uh, have the advantage there if they're mm-hmm. in on him. And also the day I was there, Stafford hit a – I think he went three for four with a home run in a double, so they saw him on a pretty strong day, although he had a lot of pretty mm-hmm. strong days <laughs> this uh yeah. This spring so that that name definitely seems like it comes up a lot i mean potentially maybe an under slot deal for them too um yeah i think so not, this, like this it wouldn't be like, like an outrageous like it's not it wouldn't be like oh i can't believe like they reached for him at mm-hmm. you know with their with their first round pick at uh at 26 overall but i could also see them having maybe some incentive to do an underslot mm-hmm. deal, especially when their next pick is not until 97 because they don't have a, a second rounder. Yeah. And, and Bryce Eldridge makes some sense too, just because the Yankees have liked big lefty sluggers in the past. And Eldridge has a lot in common with Spencer Jones, who they just took last year uh, when they were both high schoolers. So that's that's more of one that I, I think just makes sense with what the Yankees have done more than anything that I've specifically heard. Um but yeah, Stafura seems seems like a, a good one. Ty Pete is another name I'd link to the Yankees. Um, seems to make more sense down here in this range than earlier in the draft as well. So, Ty Pete, the the Georgia high school infield. Yeah, there. Georgia shortstop and right hander. At twenty six overall, you think they would? 
taken? I don't know if they, I mean, they might. Uh, there are some teams that, that are in on Ty Pete right behind them, I think. So if they really like him, uh, you kind of got to take him before you think he's going to get popped. I think the Rays are another team that, that's on Ty Pete and they've got to pick at 31. Um, but I do think the Yankees like him. And again, you're talking about with their picks. Like that for It's interesting reason, too the, the to hear, I mean, I think that it would certainly be aggressive with Ty P and it like, like we always talk about, it comes down to the money and what you do with the later picks too. If you take an underslot deal there, but uh, you know, Spencer Jones, Bryce Eldridge, Stafura, like these guys are all very good athletes and Ty Pete is as springy and bouncy of an athlete as uh, just about any high school mm-hmm. player in this class too. Yeah, I, I don't know how much buzz Ty P is getting uh, around the industry at this point, but I'm not going to be surprised if if he ends up going quite a bit better than maybe I expected like a month ago. There, there are some teams. He, he's he's definitely a split camp player, I think, but there are some teams who really like him quite a bit. I think maybe similar to Xavier Xavier Isaac from a year ago, who the race took in the first round. Yeah, well, with a very different, uh, <laughs> yeah, very different different, different profile entirely, but similar in the sense they were split camp and like. If he goes in this range, he will be viewed as an off the board. I mean, it will be an off the board pick here. Um, people maybe will be scratching their heads, but like there are teams that, that like players like that. So, yeah, is it a lot of just generally high school guys? Who it seems like are being tied to the Yankees, or is it more just hey these these specific names are <laughs> just keep with the, coming up? With in, the Yankees, it's always specific you know? names. It seems like it, it doesn't seem like the Yankees really try to hide who they like. So. It's specific names with them more so than any other team down here, I think. I mean, again, like Volpe a few years ago, Spencer Jones last year, they're, they're a team that maybe we can continue hitting on at the bottom of, of the draft. So, What about the the next pick, the Phillies at 27? The Phillies get mocked with a ton of uh, pitchers and linked with a ton of pitchers just because uh, they've taken high school pitchers in recent years and it's looked pretty good for them. Uh, I think they're in a range where high school shortstops make sense as well. In this scenario, I have them just taking Thomas White because he's he's on the board. I think the Phillies probably operate in a best player available mode more than maybe some other teams. They're just going to take who they think is the best player. In this instance, that's Thomas White. I think if, Tom, if, if Chase Davis is here, he seems like a player they would be interested in. Uh, otherwise, like all the high school shortstops that get length, like George Lombard, he makes some sense if he's on the board. Maybe maybe they're in on Stafura as well. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem like I haven't heard them linked specifically to college bats. I don't know if that's just like I just haven't haven't heard many college hitters with them, but that's kind of the one demographic. Like there is a Brock Wilkin who could make sense here. There is Johanny Morales who could make sense here. Um, yeah, like Charlie Soto could make some sense. I think he's been a name that had been tied to the Phillies again, probably just because of the high school pitching link. Um, but the Phillies are interesting, and they're also at a, a point in the in the draft where there, there's just so many different um, types of players they could go after. Yeah, and you look at their you know three of their last or two excuse me two of their last three first round picks: Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, not just high school pitchers, but high school pitchers who are pretty big physical mm-hmm. guys too or i think they're both what six five six six thomas yep. white is also six five a lot of size and physicality to him yeah. i think if you're Charlie able Soto, to, same deal 
Yes, yeah, yeah, Soto too. I mean, Soto's probably and it's a you know really good athlete with Soto. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are definitely characteristics that the organization uh, prizes in a in a pitcher, and they're not clearly not as hesitant as some other clubs taking high school pitching in the mm-hmm. first round. So um, I, I would think probably Thomas White ends up going earlier than this to somebody. But mm-hmm. I, I think, like you said, if he's available here, I don't think he's somebody that the Phillies are going to uh, be be shying away from. Yeah, absolutely. He could easily be gone before this pick. Uh, all right, we're getting down to the wire here, Ben. Astros are up next. Uh, I think if Sephora somehow passes the Yankees, they'd be interested in Sephora. I think they're also another potential landing spot for Ty Floyd, who's getting a lot of helium. Feels like they both like him and also like his his fastball metrics just generally. Um, Bryce Eldridge is a name linked with him. Walker Martin gets linked. Ralphie Velazquez is a name that got linked quite a bit earlier in the season, I think could fit. Um uh, I don't know, but like I, th- I think maybe the, the Brock Wilkin or Johanny Morales of the world could make some sense here, and they feel like they could fit in this range. At some point, someone's got to take a shot on the power of Wilkin and Morales. They're just harder to pin down. Yeah, I think, I mean, with Dana Brown, his first draft there, you know, certainly seeing him at Stafura's game is, <laughs> if if he's there, there's interest. It sounds like, you know, just talking to people um, seems like he would probably prioritize a, a shortstop over overall else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other things being equal. So Walker Martin to, like you mentioned, Stafora, both mm-hmm. shortstops seem to check a lot of boxes that would fit for, for that mold. But yeah, obviously if they're not available and, in this scenario, then, uh, like you said, it could branch out some, some different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing, seeing Dana, what he does there, if they have like a, a largely different philosophy will be really interesting to, to just watch unfold. Uh, and they also, I think have the, no, they don't have the smallest the Yankees and the Phillies have the smallest bonus pools. The Astros have like about a million and a half more than those two. Uh, we got what two more Mets and Dodgers at thirty. These aren't the next picks. It goes Mariners, Mariners, Rays. We get into some teams with multiple picks, but the two teams we haven't touched on that had their picks drop um, for going over the CBT threshold are the Mets at thirty-two and the Dodgers at thirty-six. Um, obviously, very tricky in this range to have much confidence in who these teams would be going after. I do think that maybe. The Mets could be a fit for Johandi Morales. Like I've heard that. I think, I think personally, he'd be a pretty good value. Um, Kevin McGonigal, if he's around, I think could fit. Uh, I have heard some like signability stuff with McGonigal at this point. Maybe that's just because, like, throughout the whole circuit or the whole cycle, the whole draft cycle, he's been viewed as like a mid first, and all of a sudden we don't like have him expected to go very high. There's a lot of other high school shortstops that are going in front of him. And I think, I think a high school shortstop will probably be squeezed out who we expect to go that maybe just doesn't go where he, he thinks he should or expected to and goes to school. Uh, maybe all these high school shortstops get taken and signed. I don't know, but there are, there's a lot of competition at that demographic 
Um, but if Kevin McGonagall's on the board, I think he'd be an excellent pick here for the Mets at 32. He also, I mean, they seem like a, well, <laughs> just both from what they've done in terms of their, the players they've drafted or players they've signed and just, you know, knowing some people in the organization, they seem like a very bat driven organization too, right? Like Kevin Parada, Jet mm-hmm. Williams, obviously Kumar. I mean, Kumar Rogers, a pitcher, it's a different case, but um, you know, PCA, Brett, ba- like these guys are mm-hmm. generally like offensive. Jared Kellenick before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, PCA, you know, good defender, obviously a great defender in center field, but um, also just more hit over power, certainly with him and I really liked his bat. Very hitter's of, team. Yeah. So I, I think somebody like McGonagall would make sense in that respect. And if, you know, one of the knocks maybe on McGonagall is his size, like oh, certainly that was the case on <laughs> Jet Williams. I mean, he's not as, yeah. he doesn't run the way Jet Williams runs, uh, but he's bigger than Jet Williams. Yeah. I think he's a better hitter than Jet Williams, at yeah. least going into that summer and i would i mean obviously a huge kevin mcgonagall fan and i'm i guess i'm getting like pre-angry <laughs> if he doesn't go <laughs> in the first round but if, if they're able to get him i think it uh yeah what is their first pick 32 i think that would 32. be i think it'll be really good value for and then for like him. adrian santana um dylan head johnny farmello mm-hmm. those are all similar kind of profiles that feel like fit kind of in this range that kind of have, have some of the same traits that we've seen them target as well uh i haven't heard those specific links with them but i think it makes sense on, on talent there uh, and then the dodgers at 36 the last team to make a pick this year right now i have them with charlie soto just because they do such a great job with with pitcher development and he could be a good value there and i think it, it sounds like there's some buzz about like questioning charlie soto's fastball shape could allow him to slide maybe in the same way that the Ty madden slid a few years ago and I think if if Charlie Soto is on the board, like I personally would like to see the Dodgers take him. Uh, I think they're another team that is in on Farmelo. Um, really, at, at this point, I think any demographic is in play. There are some college pitchers that start to make sense here after we really had a, a big stretch where none made a lot of sense. There are college bats still available, tons of high school hitters, tons of high school pitchers. Like I would like to see a guy like Cameron Johnson with them too, like, I, I kind of want them to take a high school pitcher here just because there's a lot of high school pitching talent and they do a good job with that profile. I, I guess they do a good job overall, but I'm assuming whoever they take here uh, six months from now, we'll be talking about how good that player was and how other teams should have, should have taken them earlier. They, well, they, took to Maddox, they took Maddox Bruns high school pitcher out of Alabama with their first round pick at 29 overall a couple years ago. So, you know, Cam Johnson, even like Alex Clemmy. Um, Clemmy is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be, I mean, for me, very aggressive, but like <laughs> maybe not as much for other people. And Maddox, Maddox Brun certainly is and continues to have control issues, but really loud stuff from mm-hmm. the left side. So that's just why I bring up Johnson and um, uh, Alex, Alex Clemmy. I mean, maybe pot- mm-hmm. potentially, I mean, is Thomas White still? available here if they yeah up- i mean if the thing is i i don't know if it, it is like dodgers specific because this is their first pick here but some teams that have multiple picks in the supplemental range like the high school pitchers who slide get overpaid in this range so he, he could go here and get overpaid 
that like uh who who was the lefty last year on blank i was saying the padres took dylan lesko then they took robbie Bobby snelling, snelling. Mm-hmm. yeah so that that makes some sense like we have thomas white in a similar range on the board uh to snelling so that wouldn't shock me if, if he went this range and got overpaid we see that happen a decent amount yeah, could you see, I mean, maybe one of the high school shortstops coming down here? Um, maybe like, uh, hey, Rock Chalowski, instead of going to UCLA, <laughs> just come, uh, come to L.A., but uh, play for play for us or, or somebody else in in that high school hitter yeah. camp. I All the high school. mentioned Farmello and, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, the Farmello one I had heard. I I'd heard specifically the Dodgers like Farmelo. I haven't heard that specifically with Rock, but I think he makes I sense on too. talent. Yeah, there there um there's some college hitters I think could be interesting. Jack Hurley, Jake Geloff at Virginia and Virginia Tech, respectively. Or or I think I've mixed this up. Jack Hurley at Virginia Tech, Jake Geloff at Virginia. I mean, Josh Noth is an interesting guy on talent here. I know you really like Josh Noth. Um, Travis Acora, another high school pitcher. Like, there are a lot of demographics here that just are very talented and maybe risky for some teams. Um, but I, I think picking at 36 in this draft is a lot different than picking at 36 in any other draft. I think there's still a lot of really good players. And I like, I'm just curious to see who goes because there are so many players that I still like in this range, I guess. I'm, trying to scroll through and see if there are any other names paul wilson is a name that could go pretty good um yeah eric batanti is a name that we've heard uh, he already hit two home runs at uh dodger stadium coming into the whenever it was that they had that area code select mm-hmm. event before the the season maybe this might have actually been a couple of years ago so but he has uh, he has huge huge power. Yeah, so that that kind of does the mock, Ben. How well, I just want to know why well, I still want to know who who are the Dodgers going to take in the sixth rounds this year? Who we're going to have in our top one hundred at this time next year? That's that's what here. I want. Want to know who's who's Emmett Sheehan of <laughs> of this year's yeah, draft maybe, for the Dodgers? Maybe it's just Alex Clemmy for them. Who knows? But he's not the sixth rounder. Yeah, there will be someone they find. Some, yeah, the college guy who's okay performer, and then the Dodgers <laughs> turn him into a monster. Oh man! So we did it. We did the whole first round on the podcast. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that was exciting to people. Got a lot we of probably should have on this one. Should have put a spoiler alert in the beginning in case people didn't want to know how the draft was going to line up exactly. Well, if that happens, I'm going to retire. So <laughs> <laughs> you'll hit your incentive clause in the. Uh, <laughs> in the mock draft. I, I mean, if if you get the whole mock draft right and you don't retire, like what are you even doing? You're, you're it's just all downhill from there. Like Jim Callis, Jim Callis should have yeah. retired after 2005, right? <laughs> yeah, he had like 20 something picks in a row. It was ridiculous, yeah. insane. We'll be lucky to get five in a row this year. <laughs> yeah. Did, uh, well, anything uh, you want to close on, Ben? I'm, I'm about to have to uh, close up shop here and finish up some work. But if you've got all right, else we can. Uh, yeah, we can save some listener questions for for next time. Then. Yeah, I think so. Probably. 
All right. Wait, maybe, what do you got? Maybe post draft. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe you guys will have a, maybe the draft will happen and you guys will have a lot of questions from that. We can do a uh, we can do a, obviously several shows breaking down the draft. I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about from all all these different teams and how these guys slot in with their top 30s and top 100s. But yeah, uh, crazy that I have something to go do, Ben. All right. Well, we got a we got a bunch of questions. We'll save for uh, next episode, especially a lot of prospect yeah. questions from uh, you guys. Can you guys can blame me for that? I'll, I'll take the uh, I'll take the complaints if you have them. Send them at me. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, Threads. We got some questions on Threads. Threads. Yeah. We're gonna drop them in there. We'll, 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 uh, we'll make sure we read those. Is it and Instagram then, uh, Threads or is it just Threads? It's just it's just Threads. I think it's Threads so that Twitter Zuckerberg's can't block. Threads. Twitter can't block the word thread. That's actually with genius. Like Substacks. That's genius. <laughs> yeah. They're already getting uh, sued, right? Twitter's already suing them. So anyways, uh, yeah. we, we don't have to go down uh, the social media rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, uh, Take us out, Ben. Uh, yeah. Or what's the, the email address for questions is, is future projection at baseball Yeah, you did it. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, we'll make sure we save those for, for next ones. And we appreciate it, all you guys, for uh, uh, listening. Obviously, uh, tough to record the the last few weeks, so hopefully this was a, a deep dive into each team's uh, kind of potential thought process going into the draft. Yeah, hopefully so. Uh, I'm sure a lot of this will seem bad in hindsight, but that's, that's kind of what we're hearing now. But, uh, yeah, this is episode 55. Thanks, thanks Ben, for – hopping on here with me and going through it and hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you all for listening. The new site is live at baseballamerica.com. Check that out. Uh, let us know your thoughts on that and the show. Uh, and yeah, thank you guys. Hope you enjoy the draft. It should be fun. It's been a lot of work to get here. I'm excited to see what happens uh, and hope, hope you guys and, and your teams take the exact players that you wanted in the first round. So good luck to you all for Ben. I'm Carlos. See you guys next time. <laughs>